0: Exclusive offers just for you, just to say thanks. Right now, U.S. Cellular customers could get up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. Visit uscellular.com for terms and restrictions. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Howdy folks, this is good old JR Jim Ross. I want to thank you for downloading the Ross Report. And I certainly want to thank all the sponsors. We've got some great sponsors who make this possible every single week
1: he's considered the greatest broadcaster in wrestling history
0: yes sir
1: and now wwe hall of famer jim ross the legendary voice you
0: heard calling every major wrestling match in human history (laughs) brings his famous friends to the podcast world nice welcome to the ross report Indeed, ladies and gentlemen, slobber knocker audio is on the air. I thank you very much for downloading our program. This is the Ross report. You're at the right place and thank you very much for downloading our show for free, by the way, at uh, Apple podcasts, all of our good friends at podcast one, podcastone.com where you can find all of our sponsors. But the big news is I'm actually here, you know, on Monday night and the classic Rose Bowl in Pasadena, California, I watched a two-overtime ball game between my Sooners and uh, the Georgia Bulldogs of my friend Tony Schiavone. We'll talk more about that in the the What's on My Mind segment, but I'm here. I'm happy. It's going to be a great year. You know, Lord knows it's going to be a better year for me than 2017. I guarantee that. Fun show today. Wrestling historian and author, Pat LaPrade is here. A nice French-Canadian young lad who has written another exciting book, on Mad Dog, the Maurice Vachon story. And let me tell you, folks, Maurice Vachon was the genuine article. He did not play a character. Mad Dog was Mad Dog, and he was bigger than life in more ways than one. We'll talk to Pat about Mad Dog Vachon. And uh, we also are going to be joined by one of my longtime friends, good dude, Sean Waltman, X Pac 6. How many handles has this guy had? But he's one of my favorite guests on the show. He's always got good things to say. Very introspective. Got his own podcast as well, by the way. So uh, we'll talk to Sean about those projects and many more. But as I mentioned earlier, the aforementioned what's on my mind is now. It's time!
2: It's time!
0: It's- what's on JR's mind? Well, as I mentioned, I uh, had a great time this week, past weekend in Los Angeles, New Year's Eve. Nice town to celebrate New Year's Eve without a doubt. Had a great meeting on uh, New Year's Eve night to talk about our book, Sovereign Knocker, becoming something on uh, television or film. Very optimistic. I was going to put it, leave it there, but uh, it's better than I ever dreamed. So we're very blessed in that regard. So uh, that was a fun New Year's Eve difference for sure. And then of course the Rose Bowl game on uh, Monday night and the famed Rose Bowl in Pasadena. Amazing. Amazing location. It's still an old school stadium, long aisles, high steps, narrow seats, bathrooms about an acre of ground away. Trust me on that one. And when you get old, guys, here's the deal. When you're old or getting older, like I'm having a birthday this week, when you're getting older, things you really need to locate when you go to an unknown place, where are the cans? Where are the restrooms? Where are the facilities? So that was Fun, to say the least. 92,000 fans there. My sinners played their hearts out. Got beat by a better team, quite frankly. Uh, I didn't get to see Tony Schiavone while we are both in Los Angeles. He was very busy. I was as well. We did communicate. I congratulated him on the win. I wished him good luck before the game started. We're great friends, and our friendship will always be more enduring than a, a football rivalry. But look, Georgia's got a real good team. They came out and won the game more than my Sooners did seemingly in the second half. But it was fun experience. In a year that I've had a lot of ups and downs, the one thing that kept me up more in a emotional way was my love of my football team. As silly as that may sound to some guys. Some of you get it. Some of you say, I know exactly where JR's coming from. The issue is, is that uh, when you have uh, tragedies in your life, you've got to gravitate to people that love you, and that you love back and get involved in things that are positive in your life. Uh, I can't chase a negative situation like my wife's passing with more negative. So that's kind of where I look at it. The, so bottom line is this. The OU football team bailed me out of a hell of a year. I love following them. I'm going to be right in their corner. I'm ready to go now. So uh, very proud of Coach Lincoln Riley and his team. I know the kids later on the line worked their ass off, but, uh, it just wasn't to be sometimes you get beat by a better team and you gotta be man enough or woman enough to admit such. So congratulations, Georgia, Tony Schiavone. That's almost like they got a home game, uh, this coming Monday in the national championship game in, uh, in Atlanta. I wish we were going to be there, but, uh, not to be this time, but, uh, we will have another season and I guarantee you one thing by God, my sinners will be back. WWE continuing to do great things with the female athletes in their company and in the entire genre of wrestling, sports entertainment, pro wrestling, whatever the hell you want to call it. WWE has done more to celebrate female athletes and their contributions within the genre of pro wrestling, sports entertainment, whatever you choose to call it. And I applaud them because we found out on Raw that the women will have a 30-woman Royal rumble along with the men's Royal rumble on January 28th in Philadelphia, big weekend, no doubt about that. I like the fact that the rules are the same. I think that you'd have an upheaval and rightfully so, by the way, if the rules were toned down, whereas in, in essence, you don't have to be thrown over the top rope, both feet touching the floor to be eliminated. That rule is in place for the men and for the women. I like it. It's easier for the fans to follow. You don't have revolving rules. Now, wait, that's the women's matches. This the men's matches that none of that stuff. So, and I like the fact that the winner of the female Royal Rumble, like the men will earn a title shot either against the, uh, raw champion or the SmackDown champion, uh, of their choosing. So I think that's interesting. And it creates an interesting, uh, storyline possibilities. What if the winner of the Royal rumble is on SmackDown? However, they want to challenge the female champion on raw. I'm under, under the assumption that they're able to do that, which could be an interesting storyline plots and twists as things move on. So WWE is really gearing up for a big, big time Royal rumble. I've always said that the Royal rumble really kicks off, at least in my view, uh, the WrestleMania season. All the things that happen at the Royal rumble leads to a main event slot in WrestleMania, which is the promised land. When I was signing talent, the one thing you always want to keep in the back of your mind was the fact that you want the talents that you think anyway, have a chance. Do they have a viable chance of headlining a WrestleMania? If they don't have a viable chance in your estimation early on to headline WrestleMania, you really need to be a little bit more cautious. Uh, And guarded in your in the hire. It's like to say it's a baseball team. I never wanted to hire guys that could hit eighth or ninth. Anybody can hit eighth or ninth. I wanted guys that could hit in the top of the batting order, especially in the three, four, and five holes. So those guys are your WrestleMania main eventers. So that's what you want to try to look for. Is it a guesswork? Damn right, it is a guesswork to some degree. But uh, as Vince McMahon said about, I remember meeting with him the day after the XFL. Folded. And he said, "Well, Jr., we lost about 50 million. I think it was some ridiculous number. It scared me." But he said it was a calculator risk, and I have no issues taking calculator risk. I'd do it all over again. That's a real businessman right there. Let me tell you, they have courage. Every great boss I've worked for, including Bill Watts and Vince McMahon, two great ones by the way, uh, they had that same mindset. They were the big guy in the room. They were the alpha male in the company, and they were willing to take calculator risk and put their money where their mouth is. I find that very admirable. So congratulations to WWE continuing to build the legacy of the female athlete in the company. And therefore it helps to me. Now it helps every female in wrestling because now they have more hope. They have more opportunity. And quite frankly, folks in our world, we live in about the best we can expect is an opportunity. It's up to us to make the most of those opportunities. And I see these women doing great things. They have great leadership in that group. You know, I still think Charlotte is the best female wrestler that I've ever seen, but boy, there's some really amazingly potential big matches that have pay-per-view headlining potential going forward with these ladies. So congratulations, ladies, the ball is in your court. I would take that ball and I would run with it. And I know you will. You know, I mentioned Philadelphia for the Royal Rumble, the home of the Royal Rumble. We're going to be there as well for a first-ever show of its kind for me, and that is the uh, Slobberknocker Sessions. Now, the bottom line of this is that we're selling 100 tickets, TicketFly.com, by the way. The event is at noon on Royal Rumble Sunday, and the big complex there in Philly, uh, we're going to be at the uh, baseball stadium. The Diamond Club, to be exact, at the Citizens Bank Ballpark, which is around the same grounds as the arena. It's all right there, all very handy, very convenient. Geography is good for you. So the show starts at noon. And with every ticket sold, you'll get a free hardcover copy of Slobberknocker that I will sign for you, however way you'd like to sign, personalized, in other words. We'll do a, a photo op. We'll do autographs. We'll do the Q&A. And a and it will have a lot of fun. So uh, I think Jeremy Borash is going to be joining us again for this one. He's awesome. We have a lot of fun together. So I think uh, it's a unique time. It's not a cattle call. 100 tickets sold, ticketfly.com. And with each ticket, you get a free book, you get it signed, you get photos, uh, you get autographs, and you participate in the Q&A. So it's going to be a lot of fun. hope you'll join me. For this first ever voyage, you know, it's like anything else. I was, I told somebody the other day when I have a book signing, sometimes I get that, uh, those pangs of anxiety where I think I'm, uh, Randy the Ram and the wrestler where you're say, sitting at that card table at that old arena waiting for fans to come in for his autograph. And he's just sitting there at that card table and nobody's there. You always have that fear when you're putting on your own show and you have your own skin in the game. So I hope you guys will join me Sunday the 28th of January Royal rumble Sunday is the best way to remember it in Philly noontime tickets at Ticketfly.com. So we're going to have a lot of fun with it. And I promise you, you will laugh uh, and you will get your questions answered and you'll be treated with respect and appreciation because that's exactly where you guys rank in my book. As you know, another big week coming up for uh, myself and Josh Barnett in Los Angeles. We'll be voicing over the Russell kingdom show on Thursday and Friday of this week, I think the, uh, first three matches we're going to voice over will be the three perceived main events, which is a story in itself, but what is really the main event? My book has always been the main event is always the match that goes on last, but there are exceptions to the rule. So I guess the always is not really applicable here. There's a hell of a lot of interest in North America, obviously with uh, Jericho and Omega and rightfully so they've done it right. They promoted it right. They built it. The anticipation is palatable. It's great. But, you know, the main event featuring the IWGP champion, Kazuchika Okada, who's had a marvelous year, marvelous 2017 that he beat a who's who of great, great Hall of Fame-level talents. But he's up against a guy that maybe is the hottest guy in, uh, arguably, hottest guy in New Japan. Tetsuya Naito is a little bit like the Attitude Era Stone Cold Steve Austin. Very defiant, very controversial, very anti-establishment. And it's amazing that a guy can directly spit in another's face and get cheered for it. Damnest thing I've ever seen. They, The fans love NIDO. They live vicariously through this guy. He's lost some Gobernale's faction, selling a lot of merchandise. There's a lot of popularity there, which leads me to think there could be a title change in the making at Russell Kingdom. The bottom line is this. You can see that show in a three-hour special on Saturday night, January the 6th. This Saturday night, by the way, January 6th. And three hours... The IWGP title match, the Jericho Mega match, and the Intercontinental title or yes, Intercontinental title match, Jay White challenging uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi, which should be really good. Even though Tanahashi's banged up, it's a match of his lifetime for Jay White, young kid from New Zealand, trained in the UK. So we'll voice those over on a few hours after it actually happens here in Los Angeles, where I'm recording this now. Looking forward to that whole process. Then we'll finish up our voiceovers on on Friday and. I got an appearance on KTLA on Friday, uh, in the afternoon, a little interview about knocker. And then I'm also doing an appearance this week on the Hallmark channel on Home and Garden TV, where I'm actually making, uh, doing a cooking segment, believe it or not. I'm going to be cooking my heart healthy turkey chili. And that's in one of our cookbooks. So, uh, we'll be talking about that in knocker as well. So big week, no doubt for, uh, the book business, voiceover business. And I'm very proud to be affiliated with Access TV. Uh, They're bringing you this Do Japan event and uh, that three hour special in prime time on Saturday night should really be big. Hope you'll check it out. I watched uh, Access TV on DirecTV. It's on uh, the DirecTV video on demand. It's on some cable systems and it's also on such uh, carriers as Sling TV. So check out that. And if you like old school, fundamentally old school wrestling, hey, look, the entrance will be sizzle. There'll be pyro, all that good stuff that we've kind of come accustomed to. It's in the Tokyo Dome. The advance ticket sales are up. You know, originally I read this. I was startled to read it. And why would somebody say this? Is that the New Japan officials, or at least somebody in the organization, said their goal this year was to sell 30,000 tickets for Wrestle Kingdom in the Tokyo Dome, January 4th. Here's my problem with that. The arena is built for baseball. It seats 55,000 for baseball, meaning it probably seats a little bit more than that for a combat sport or a boxing match or wrestling because you can use the field, right? So let's say conservatively 60,000. So in essence, their goal was to to sell half a house as they say in the business. I have never worked for anybody in my life that was would be content, and maybe they're not, with selling a half a house for your biggest show of the year. Just doesn't jive to me. So with that said, I'm told that the advance is really hot. They were over 30,000 tickets a week or so ago. It's probably going to do very well. And I'm very happy for that. It's a hell of a company, great talents, hardworking talents. You know, Kenny Omega's had a magical year. Chris Jericho's a magic man in itself. I love Okada. Nido's, like I said, he's got, he reminds me of Stone Cold and, and that's not, never bad. Jay White, they have high hopes for Jay White as being maybe one of the next big foreign stars. And of course, uh, uh, Tanahashi is Tanahashi. Tanahashi's their John Cena. He's the guy that pulled him out of the doldrums and, and he put the brand on his back and is carrying it. So I'm excited about that. hope you'll tune in on Saturday night, Access TV, owned by my good, dear, longtime, close personal friend, Mark Cuban. Real quick, I want to say, uh, while I'm talking about things that are on my mind, I want to send goodwill wishes to my friend Larry Matysak in St. Louis. Larry hosted Wrestling from the Chase, worked for Sam Muchnik, the great promoter there, president of the NWA, and the head honcho, really, of the NWA. I've often said in a in a very positive way, Sam Muchnik was the Meyer Lansky of pro wrestling. He was a Jewish man, and you have to understand that that whole consortium of NWA promoters, by and large by and large, were the good old boy network. They're white. A lot of them were ex-athletes, meaning they had inflated egos. And uh, Sam was the man that made sure the checkbook stayed balanced. And everybody got paid, made money. So uh, Mr. Sam was a good man. And Larry learned a lot from Sam Muchnik. So uh, Larry, if somebody hears this and uh, gets word to you, know that I'm thinking about you here in the beginning of 2018 and hope you get better quicker. And uh, we really love you. Larry and appreciate all you've done for our business. And sometimes, folks, even us old guys need to spread the word that somebody else did good and somebody else has made great contributions to our business. And Larry Matisak has done indeed that. So keep them in your thoughts and prayers. Larry, get well soon, buddy. And finally, it seems like, anyway, that our, our retail outlets have Slobberknocker in stock. If not, somebody tweet me at i I'm at J-R-S-B-B-Q on Twitter. I know we had issues getting the art covers to Australia. I think that's done with Amazon. I think Amazon UK has their books in, you know, Barnes and Noble, books a million, you know, all these great places that sell our books, uh, our book. Don't get ahead of myself here. We're about to go on our fourth printing, which they tell me in the publishing business is kind of unheard of. So I'm very, very grateful for everybody's support. And if you haven't read Slaver Knocker, check it out. It's available on ebooks. Uh, I read the audiobook. Challenging to do, as I've mentioned here before, but a lot of folks have really liked it and I which I sincerely appreciate. Uh so the book should be out there and uh, the publisher didn't have any idea it was gonna do as well as it did. And neither did we quite frankly. I'm not breaking my arm, patting myself on the back. Thank you very much, Gorilla Monsoon. Will you stop? The bottom line was this we had more of a demand than we had a supply pretty much basic economics right so what we think now that the demand is starting to catch up the supply is starting to catch up because there is still a demand for a slobber knocker which we're very grateful thank you guys for checking it out it's been a, it was a fun journey it had a lot of twists and turns in it for sure but uh i'm glad we finished it remember what my granny said she said jimmy what do you want to do when you grow up i want to be the voice of st louis cardinals i want to be jack buck or harry Carey." and my grandpa or my dad would laugh you know you're going to be a You're going to be a farmer, you little fat fart, and you're going to, you know, stay here on a farm and, you know, be dumb and glad of it. And my granny would say, well, Jimmy, somebody's going to do it. Why not you? Exactly. So why not you? So the book, we finished the book and I'm glad, I'm proud that we did. We made granny happy, made my daddy happy. And most of all, it made my little angel in heaven happy because we finished our journey together. All right, folks, uh, I'm addled. I'm, I'm a little shaken, shaken, not stirred. Rose Bowl is in the record book. I love my Sooners. I wish Tony Schiavone's team the best of luck uh, on Monday when they play a mighty Alabama team that seems to be somewhat pissed off. And uh, Nick Saban did a great coaching job, I'll tell you, on Monday night because he was in the grill of some of those big monsters. And got him fired up. He's got some carnivores there, folks. He's got some carnivores there. So it's going to be really emotional uh, on Monday night. All SEC uh, national championship football game. Wish both teams the very best of luck. Got friends, Eli Gold, the voice of the Alabama Crimson Ties, a dear friend of mine. I thank the world Eli and uh, wish the best for his team. And, of course, Tony Schiavone and I go back all the way to Clash of Champions 1. Can you believe that? Good God. How old are we? But uh, best of luck, guys. And, folks, that's what's on my mind from Los Angeles, California.
2: Hi, I'm Danny Larue, host of Real GM Radio, where every week I go in depth on NBA basketball through conversations with some of the brightest basketball minds out there, including Kevin Pelton, Nate Duncan, Chris Herring,
3: Tim BonTEMPS, and team experts from all around the league. We try to separate the truth from the noise for players, teams, and NBA draft prospects alike, with a focus on the basketball itself. If you want to know what is coming next in the NBA and why, there's no better place to turn than the weekly episodes of Real GM Radio. You can. Find Find us exclusively at
2: PodcastOneSports.com or the new Podcast One app. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts.
0: Man, can you believe it's 2018? It's hard for me to believe that. It's going to be a great year. I promise you it's going to be a great year here on the podcast. A lot of big things uh, in the works. Big guests. Big topics. Massaging our format. Making it better for you guys. That's the bottom line. I also want to thank you guys for supporting our uh, condiment work, our products. My wife and I are very proud of what we built with our barbecue sauces, chipotle ketchup, a jalapeno, honey, mustard, our beef jerky. The seasoning is amazing. And you can get it all at www.shop.com. That's where I'd go straight away. www.shop.com is your hookup for all the JR's products. They have great customer service They get it to you quickly. And uh, we certainly appreciate your business. And if you're like me, there's not a month goes by that I'm not outside grilling something. I pick my spots, I wear a coat or a hoodie, whatever, but I'm going to be outside cooking. It's just healthier for me. I enjoy the grilling, whether it be vegetables uh, on a grill pad or on a, just the open flame for my proteins, my chicken, uh, steak, so forth. It's just great. So check it out, www.shop.com and all the JR's products there. We appreciate that very much. And also remember that uh, we're in business with Pro Wrestling Tees. My dear friend Ryan Barkin in Chicago has got a wonderful family and a great team. Let me tell you, a great team there. And they help a lot of people in the wrestling business. And so if they're willing to do that, I'm willing to help them. And we'd like to, you to check out our merchandise there. ProWrestlingTees.com slash Jim Ross. tees in Chicago. Size up to 5X, baby. That's big. And they ship anywhere in the world. ProWrestlingTees.com. Look us up there, and we appreciate your business. The Ross Report. Well, we are on in the north of the United States. Our friends to the north, our lovely Canadian neighbors. Some great French Canadians have dotted the wrestling scene for many, many years, including my dear friend Pat Patterson. And another Pat is joining us tonight. Pat LaFrotte is here. He is an author. He is a very, very good author. Pat, first of all, how are you doing and happy holidays?
1: Hey, thanks. Happy holidays to you, too. I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me.
0: You bet, buddy. I enjoyed your uh, Sisterhood of the Square Circle book a lot because I'm working on this Mildred Burke movie project, and it's a, been based on the book Queen of the Ring by Jeff Lean. I'm fascinated with—that uh, was an excellent book, and I have begun reading Mad Dog, your Mad Dog book, the Maurice Bichon story. I love the description because it's so accurate. The true story of one of pro wrestling's most charismatic, feared, and beloved icons ever in the business. And who was the man and and who was Mad Dog the character? So how did you decide to write about Mad Dog? Because you have a huge audience in French Canadians because Maurice was a French Canadian and a very, you know, a hero. But what narrowed it down for you that Maurice is my next book?
1: Uh, well, we, w- when we did the book, me and my, uh, co-author, First Write, when we did the book on the Montreal wrestling, uh, Matt Dageness and some screw jobs, we also did a French version of it. Uh, that was released in the fall of 2013, and the very same day we were going to be at the big, uh, the biggest Montreal Book Fair, Maurice passed away in uh, November, November uh, 21st, 2013, and we were just overwhelmed by interview requests uh every every tv station every radio station in Montreal and province of Quebec wanted to talk to us and talk about uh, the passing of Maurice so that very same night you know we met our editors at the book fair and we pitched them the idea that you know mm. there should be a, a good biography on on Maurice and, you know, they had seen all the, uh, the interviews we did and, and the reaction people got, you know, over, uh, over the passing of Maurice. And, uh, they did give us a go ahead. We published it in French in 2015. It was picked up in English by ECW Press. And, uh, last September, we, uh, were probably uh, releasing the English version
0: as well. So fans of the English language, one dimensional people like me, What's the easiest way to find the book, Pat? Amazon. Oh, Amazon. Yeah.
1: Amazon.com is is by far the easiest way. We're we're doing some conventions, you know, we're going to do some conventions uh this year, you know, most probably uh CAC which, you know, you usually attend in yeah. in uh, Las Vegas, probably also the uh National Wrestling Hall of Fame in Waterloo, Iowa. Uh, since Maurice, you know, was attended the, the, the ceremony, the all of Fame ceremony for many years and was a big, big star in the Midwest, you know, and, and that's the beauty of it because as, you know, as, as big Maurice was in the province of Quebec and in, you know, in, in, in you know, for French Canadians, he, he passed, you know, most of his career in the United States, you know, you know, with the AWA in the Midwest but also in Texas. I mean when he passed away, even the New York Times ran an obit on him, you know. So I mean he was you know, it's pretty well known in the United States and in English Canada as well. So well thrilled to uh, finally share his story with uh, the English folks out there.
0: What made the character, the public persona of Mad Dog Bashan what made him so unique?
1: I would say you know, first of all his look, you know, you always notice look first. And he had such a unique look, I mean bald with a beard missing some 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 tooth I mean he was very unique, he was unique in the sense that he would talk differently also he had that that you know big voice that i won't I try to to imitate because I'm very, very bad at it, but he had that big voice.
0: Very gravelly.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And he had that, that look that was completely apart from anybody else. And the story with Maurice is that Really tried to find this character for so many years. Cause, uh, I mean, he, he wasn't, when you look at the picture, uh, the pictures in the book, you can see a very young Maurice. He was like 18, 19 years old. He looked like a Hollywood star. He, he, he had hair. He had a nice look, good body. And then he started pro wrestling and he was trying to find something that would make him different. From you know from anybody else, and he finally got it maybe ten years into his career with what he's known for now. You know, he was one of the first one actually, attempt uh, to uh, to talk directly to the camera instead of answering and looking at you know the announcer asking questions. He would take control of his interview and talk directly to the people watching at home. So he tried, you know, piece by piece to do something that nobody else was doing, you know, I think he kind of succeed. you know, and that's why he's so remembered now.
0: He had, uh, a lot of people have forgotten because he was a different era in today's world, but as you mentioned, he was a big star in several territories. So we think of him being obviously huge in Montreal and in the province of Quebec, but certainly... The AWA was almost like his home base. It seemed like he got his greatest success domestically in the AWA. What were his thoughts generally of working for Bern Gagne and the AWA? Because he had a really a terrific run there.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, he, he loved Bern. He loved working there. He worked there more, he was on top for more years in the AWA than he ever was in, in Montreal. He was a much bigger star. In the AWA in the 60s, because uh, in Montreal, it didn't last very long. It lasted for the Grand Prix uh, wrestling days, which were, you know, two three years. It was very, very over, and, and it became an awesome name after that. He became larger than life in Montreal after that but because it started to uh, he started you know to do TV appearances and to go TV shows and he became a big TV star but as far as his wrestling car- career goes he was uh, he was a much bigger star in the AWA and and Vern was his friend you know I mean he, he loved Vern uh, I think it was Vern really liked Maurice as well uh, when Maurice had that you know, terrible accident in 1987. Byrne did uh, did an interview to uh, wish Maurice, you know, uh, well and speedy recovery and all that. And, uh, and I mean, you know, uh, AWA was really where uh, Mad Dog Vachon became. Uh, Mad Dog Vachon started in, in Portland. But in the AWA, that's really where he got his biggest success in singles at first and then teaming with his, uh, his brother, Paul the Butcher Basham, uh, around uh, the end of the uh, 1960s, early 70s, where, you know, the both of them, you know, held the tight team title there, and they were really, really
0: over. I think Pat Patterson has told me stories about running into Maurice in Portland in the very early part of Pat's career. Is that is that how you heard the story?
1: Maurice is the one who brought Pat to
0: Portland, actually. Uh,
1: Maurice had seen Pat. In Montreal, when Pat was just starting, uh, and he really liked what he saw. And then Pat moved to Boston, and Maurice was working in Portland, and sent a letter to, to Pat, you know, telling him to come to Portland, that, you know, he had, he had a date for, for, for him to, uh, to debut there. And Pat didn't go, didn't go right away, because, you know, going from Boston to Portland, it was like going from one coast to the other, and, 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 and Pat was kind of scared. So Maurice sent another letter and giving him, you know, <laughs> giving him some shit because he, he didn't show up to the first date and telling him, you know, you better show up this time. So <laughs> Pat took, you know, all of his belongings and, and moved from the, from the East Coast to the West Coast. And from there, you know, Pat really started his, his career and Maurice really took care of him and they became friends. And uh, Pat told us that, you know, there wouldn't be a Pat Patterson without Mad Dog Vichon. That That's a pretty high compliment.
0: Absolutely. You know, one of the things that you mentioned that Vern Ganya, his relationship with Mad Dog was very strong and vice versa. You know, Vern was one of those shooters, a well, tough guy, no doubt. Mm-hmm. And obviously Maurice was as well. He'd be a noted tough guy, no doubt. What's an example of this for the fans that might be curious or, or entertained <laughs> by a, a Mad Dog? Tough guy illustration.
1: Well, you need to know that, that Maurice was an amateur wrestler. He went to the Olympics in '48. went to the uh, what is now known as the British uh, Commonwealth Games in uh, 1950, he won the gold medal there. And after that, he started working as a bouncer in clubs and uh, in nightclubs in Montreal. And some of the most craziest stories come from that period of time where he was the... Uh, the best doorman, the best bouncer ever in the province of Mont- in the province of Quebec. He was he, he, he really had a reputation where he couldn't be beaten. Uh, to the point that it became dangerous for him because the tough guys were getting frustrated at Maurice because they couldn't beat him with with their you know, with their bare hands. And he had former wrestler, uh, was working for the, for the, uh, for the mob in Montreal, told him, took him aside and told him, hey, listen, man, you better think of do- doing something else. Uh, because if they, if they cannot beat you with their hands, then they're gonna bring a gun and they're just gonna shoot you. Uh, but Maurice was just wild. Maurice, Maurice always said that he didn't, he, he never started the fight, but he always finished them, uh, but it didn't take much for Maurice to get into the fight. He could throw customers in in the nightclubs from the second to the first floor. Uh, the guys were not even touching the the, the stairs. I, I mean, and he would he would call them, and he would you know continue to beat them up to the point where people would need to stop Maurice. Telling him, man, I'm gonna kill the guy. But the the best story I ever heard was when he was working for Grand Prix Wrestling in in, in, the, in the early '70s, and there was a restaurant where all the wrestlers were stopping by on their way to uh, some town, you know, east part of the province. And uh, the lady running the restaurant had trouble with some guys, you know, some troublemakers. And Murray said, you know what? You know, I'm gonna take care of it. So I'll come back tomorrow. So he, sure enough, he came back that same night, and the guys uh, the guys were there, and Maurice, Maurice just started to tell them off, and the guys wanted to, to beat Maurice, and Maurice punched the guy. He took a fork and put it in the guy's eye and just took the guy's eye out. Mm. I mean, I heard a story from many people. I wasn't there. I'm not sure if it really, really happened, but
0: it's a great story. You know,
1: more, <laughs> more than one people told me that Maurice just ripped a guy's eye and that restaurant. And, uh, and you know, it was in, in the early seventies, uh, you know, the justice, this system, justice system wasn't whats what it is today. So he got away with it because he was, he was Mad Dog Vachon. Yeah, you know,
0: I, I was going to ask you, was his reputation what kept him out of jail
1: at that time? Yes. When he was when he was bouncer, uh, his dad was a former chief policeman in Montreal. So one time his dad had to step up and talk to uh, talk to the judge, and the judge told him, "You know what? You're young. I heard you come from a good family. Uh, I'm gonna let you go this time." So so he, he was putting himself in trouble. I mean, wrestling actually amateur wrestling and pro wrestling kept Maurice out of the streets. Uh, when he was young, his favorite sport, believe it or not, was to beat the English kids around his neighborhood. Him and his, him and his friends would make uh, a sport to beat the English kids, where he was living in, in the uh, south uh, southwest part of Montreal. And if it wasn't for for his dad enrolling him and his brothers to amateur wrestling, uh, Maurice could have really turned, you know, as a tug, You know, maybe he would have not had the career and we would not be talking about him today. And then because of the advice that the former pro wrestler working for the mob gave him, maybe, you know, he kept Maurice from maybe being killed. So wrestling was very very important in Maurice's life uh, more than, you know, you, you can actually think.
0: It's kind of ironic that uh, Maurice had some near run-ins with the mob and then of course we remember the story of Dino Bravo. Oh yeah. He had a big run-in with the mob obviously that That ended his life. Yep.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, Dino, Dino was something else in the sense that he wasn't expecting to be released from W W F, and you know, he was making tons, tons of money, and he was spending a lot. He had, you know, big, you know, luxurious cars and and a big house uh, north of Montreal. And, you know, he didn't see that money stopping anytime soon. And when it did, well, you know, he, he had to rest all his life. So, uh, his, uh, his, his, you know, his family was, was in the mob, uh, some uncles of him. And, you know, that was the easiest way to make big money when he didn't know what else to do than, uh, than to, uh, to wrestle and he didn't save any money. So he put himself into, uh, into that position. But Maurice only worked, you know, working as a doorman wherever wherever he was being hired, and he knew that guy because he, uh, he did some uh, uh, bouncer gigs for, uh, for the mob. But, I mean, uh, he wasn't really involved into it. He was just working, you know, as a bouncer for some nightclubs owned, uh, owned by the mafia here in Montreal. Wow.
0: What a life, huh? What a life this guy's Oh, I mean, yeah. The guys that knew him, Bill Watts has talked about him favorably, uh, Jesse Ventura. Of Guys I've known, I've worked with, Pat Patterson, of course. But the guys that knew Maurice well, he really has found a spot in their heart. There's something about Maurice, and I didn't know him. I only met him once, I think, only one time. And that was in Omaha. And he was in a wheelchair, and he had the prosthetic leg. Mm-hmm. They did the angle on TV where somebody grabbed his leg and used it as a weapon or something. I know, some crazy thing. He's so well thought of to be such a potentially violent man, to have such a big heart. I find a really unique contrast.
1: My dog and Maurice were two different people. Uh, my dog was that grueling, cheating, uh, vicious wrestler. Uh, and Maurice was that, you know, generous, just, you know, happy, good fellow kind of guy. Where you know like like to have his uh, his corn oil and like to 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 drink and have fun and be you know a big a big party guy and and, but his generosity was was you know something that we heard from pretty much anybody who who actually knew him. I I was talking about Pat Patterson telling us that you know if it wasn't for Maurice he wouldn't have the career he had. Uh, Roddy Roddy Piper told us the same thing. Uh, Maurice was kind of a father figure for him. And he told us, you know, I want this to be in the book. If it wasn't for Maurice, you know, you wouldn't heard about Body Piper, and he did that with everybody. He, he he was always ready to give some somebody, you know, an advice to, to bring him to a new territory. He, he created the uh, Baron Von Raschke character when he, he he brought a young Jim Rashke from Minneapolis to Montreal in the uh, mid-60s. He helped his, his, his brother, Paul Vachon, because to Maurice, when he got the nickname Mad Dog, in Maurice's head... He thought that getting that nickname was the best thing ever happened to him. So he wanted his brother to have a nickname as well. And they were trying different kind of uh, of, of nickname. He wanted his brother to be called Paul the Pig, and Paul did <laughs> like that. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny because in French, pig rhymes with Vachon. So so Paul told us, you know that, you know. Maybe he should have, he should have, you know, he should have took the nickname in, in French. But, uh, finally, you know, you, you know, they, they agreed to be, uh, the football to be called the butcher. But he was always like that René Gouet, that you know well, René Gouet. Yeah. Uh, he, he, he brought him, uh, he brought René to Minneapolis. Uh, he helped so many guys. I, I have a little story, Jim. When, when I started my, um, Quebec Wrestling Hall of Fame, I was sending ballots to a, you know, a bunch of, of old-timers, including Maurice. And the very last time he actually voted, I, every time I was sending the ballot to him, he was always sending back to me with a bunch of 8 tight 10 signs. I didn't ask for them. That was just Maurice. He didn't want to only send uh, the ballot. He wanted to give me something else. And the very last year, uh, he sent the ballot late. And on the envelope, he wrote something like, uh Sorry for being late. Keep doing what you're doing. It's great. I'm really proud of you. Take care, Maurice. He didn't have to do that. And I kept that envelope, you know, it's still in my archives. And I I share with that envelope because, I mean, he didn't have, he, I was just asking for the ballot. But that was Maurice, always generous of his time, generous of his money as well. Uh That didn't suit him well because he was sometimes giving more than he was getting. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, that was the kind of guy Moses
0: was. Yeah. Nice man. Interesting. You know, you mentioned earlier, there was a Maurice and there was a mad dog. Luckily, you know, at, at a certain age, it's easier to put mad dog out in the backyard while we're, we have company. But if when mad dog goes out the front door and he goes to work, he's a different animal. So I, I like oh. the fact that he had the depth to be different and that to make sure that he knew what reality was. Because in that era, Pat, in that era, a lot of guys lived their gimmick outside the ring, and it didn't do him well.
1: Yeah, and Maurice, about Maurice's gimmick, the funny thing about it is that he was really, and you mentioned it, he was a shooter, he was trained as an amateur wrestler, he was a very good one, and that didn't serve him at all in professional wrestling because he didn't use that style. He was, you know, when he started He he wanted to be that kind of guy when he first started in in Montreal, but he was young. He was kind of cocky. He would, uh, he he would in the locker room told the guys that, you know, he could, he could shoot with them and he could, you know, break the arms and stuff like that. And that it didn't really suit well with the office and Eddie Quinn. So he he wasn't getting booked much because, you know, Quinn didn't want Maurice to, you know, uh, going in the ring, you know, and, and doing business for himself. So when he went to Texas, that's really when he really started to get into the character he wanted, and to see what was working, what was not working, and what was working as a heel was when he was biting, when he was scratching the back, when he was, you know, doing all these heel tactics. Nothing to do with, you know, amateur wrestling, uh, but that's that's the style that really made him kind of funny that, you know, a guy like Vern was a shooter and he was a babyface all of his life and used that amateur wrestling background to his advantage. Maurice went the complete opposite way and he did good. But he was respected by the boys because they knew of his credentials. They knew what he really could do in the ring.
0: Yeah, his reputation always preceded him without a doubt, Pat. When he went to Texas the first time what office did he work for, Dallas or Houston or Amarillo?
1: Amarillo. He worked for... Uh, Dory he worked Senior. For, he, he worked for Dory Senior because both of them worked in uh, Larry Zabowski uh, territory in uh, northern Ontario. And, and Dory Funk brought him with him, so he worked there. Uh, but, but, I mean, the the very first time he actually worked was Houston. Sorry about that. He worked Houston the first time for Maurice Siegel, mm-hmm. And then... Then he uh, came back to uh, Ontario and to Montreal and came back with Derby Funk uh, Senior and then came back for Houston after. But he was working throughout Texas. He, he was like a snowbird. He, he was working Texas during the winter and in the summertime. Uh, he was always coming back to uh, the province of Quebec uh, because he wanted his, kid, uh, his kids to uh, to know French. Uh, to be able to see, you know, the family and everything. He was a big family man, you know. Uh, even though he wasn't much, he wasn't always there for his kids, you know, it was important for him to have his kids in Montreal and to see the rest of the family and to learn French and and everything. So every every summer he was coming back home.
0: The uh, book, ladies and gentlemen, is a wonderful book, uh, Mad Dog, the Maurice Vachon story. If you like wrestling history, nostalgia historical information. The one thing about this book is it's very, very accurate. And uh, you guys certainly talked to a lot of people. Did your due diligence? And it's really an enjoyable read. And the other thing you mentioned about the pictures, I'm into these old wrestling pictures. If you see Maurice, as we all remember him, with the teeth knocked out, scarred up head, bald, and you see the one picture that's on uh, right by page 173 where it's a young Maurice. And I love this. The photos by the world famous Tony Lanza. Yeah. A big time photographer folks Big time.
1: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. He was from Montreal. Tony was from Montreal, so he was getting, you know, all the guys here. He took a lot of, of uh during the forties, fifties, sixties, seventies it was he was there. And and it's really amazing to see the evolution of Maurice, you know. We have a picture of him with a little bit, you know, he was he was starting to lose his hair. He, he had, we have another one where he just had uh, a beard. Everything in Maurice's character was an evolution, and it, it, it you know, it shows in the pictures, but also it shows in in the story we uh, tell. I mean, if not, not only if you're into wrestling nostalgia, but if you're into biographies, I mean, Maurice could have have done anything else. His story. It's still a story very unique about a guy, a man who was different when he was stepping in, in the ring, stepping in front of the camera. And, you know, the Maurice, uh, when, when he was back home with his friends, with his family. And it was important for us to, uh, uh, talk about both sides, uh, of him, talk about the good, the good things, but talk about the ugly things. As well, because, you know, at the end of his life, uh, Maurice, after his accident, he wasn't doing very well. There's some ugly things there. And and it was important for us to talk about those, two, because it helped Maurice become a better person by the end of his life. And it's a fascinating history. And, uh, you know, I think everybody would, uh, you know, could, could enjoy the book.
0: Yeah, check it out, folks. Amazon's got them. Of course, you find Slobberknocker at Amazon as well. It's nicely done, Pat. You guys did a real good job. And you got some nice, Ray Rougeau wrote a little something there, Kevin Owens, George Shire. He's a real historian. Yep. You got some good folks uh, in, involved. It's a very interesting book. I can see this book being made into a movie. The challenge would be, who the hell's going to play Mad Dog?
1: <laughs> well, yes, yeah, that's a good, uh, that's a good question, but that's actually... uh, Something there's actually a scenario written in French about uh, about Maurice. The people working on it are for answers. You know, it's always a money matter. You, you know, you know how it works. Yeah. Uh, but if they can get the right uh, the right uh, producers, uh, it, it would make a, a fabulous movie because I mean, his story is so different than most, and it could be so entertaining and and at the end, very positive because there's a lot of violence into Maurice's life and his career. But, you know, it, it comes to a point where Maurice was, uh, was very, you know, pacific by his, by, you know, the end of his life. His, his, his third wife, Kathy, uh, was a very good influence on him. And, you know, we're, we're saying that we talked to a lot of people. Uh, Kathy was one of them. I spent three days at her house. She shared so many things, pictures, but also so many stories. Paul the Butcher helped us a lot as well, and, you know, everybody in between. So uh, we had a lot of uh, a lot of fun writing it and hoping that everybody will enjoy it. Yeah, uh,
0: check it out. Check as it as out, folks. That's easy. It's easy. You can read excerpts of it. It's got great ratings, reviews. It's a story about a bigger-than-life character who happened to be a wrestler. But the story away from the squared circle is fascinating, and I, I really believe you'll enjoy it. Amazon's got it. Hey, Pat, you were at the uh, Montreal 97... 97- screw job thing. Were you not in the building? I was in the building, yep. Now, I know you had uh, uh, probably a wave of emotions that night. Probably the next few days you had a, even amended a uh, emotions. After all these years, have you changed your emotions? Have your emotions changed regarding how you perceive that night?
1: Yeah, well, of course, because in 97 I wasn't that smart to the business. I didn't know all the stuff I know now, so I was mostly a fan Going there and just, you know, enjoying, uh, the first pay-per-view that, you know, Montreal had. But, you know, I will always remember at the very end of it. I didn't know what was going on. You know, I, I knew something was wrong. I just didn't know what it was, but I always remember. And, you know, every time I close my eyes, I can still see Brett doing those WCW letters with his finger. I mean, that memory is stuck in my head forever. Yeah. You know, after that, when I started, you know, to actually read about, you know, what happened, and it was a few years later. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's another fascinating story in the sense that when you read about the whole story, it tells you a lot about the politics involved behind, beyond professional wrestling. And, yes, I mean, it, the, the emotions are different now because I understand
0: You're older. what happened. You're older, more mature. You get more information. You're right. Exactly. So yep. It's changed for a lot of us over the years. You know, I, I was so conflicted the night of and a long time afterwards, it seems to me like. But the sting is, I'm sure for Brett his family, some degree, probably still lingers. To some degree. But I think it's a lot of us have just moved on because it's really, you know, I didn't know it was going to happen, and I I couldn't change it, and I can't change it now. So if I perceive it as a negative, Pat, why should I bring it with me on the trip? Yeah. Whatever days i got left, do I need to retain and a feeling and emotion about Montreal 97 Survivor Series? I don't think so.
1: It did change the business, though. It did change Yeah, a lot. of course you know, mostly because of the uh, Mr. McMahon character that Vince started doing, you know, soon after. Uh, but, you know, it did it did change, you know, the landscape of wrestling. There's a lot of what-ifs, you know, involved with this. You know, what if Bret would have stayed? What if WCW would have used Bret better, you know? It, 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 the, the thing that amazed me the most is that WCW never tried to take the Canadian market when they got Bret. You know, they had the biggest Canadian superstar they could have. They would have sold out the Molson Center if they would have come to Montreal with Brett. Because Brett actually was even more popular in Montreal after the screw job, uh, after the Survivor Series, than before. I because often, of all that happened.
0: I often wonder uh, who lost in that whole deal. I wonder who lost. Brett got a massive contract. Yes. Which is he deserved bravo for Brett, really. One of my favorite guys. The WWE found the greatest heel of the attitude era, Mr. McMahon, who yep. was the perfect foil to Stone Cold Steve Austin, who lit it on fire. So I don't know, you know, Austin becomes a millionaire many times.
1: WCW W C W may be lost in a sense.
0: Maybe, I don't know. They because didn't-
1: they didn't they didn't know how to use Brett. Properly and didn't try to run the markets that, you know, cause, cause, Canada wasn't important for them. So I didn't try to run Calgary and I don't even know they did the Calgary show ever. So, so I mean, they didn't do Calgary, they didn't do Montreal. Yeah. Who, who were by far the two biggest markets that Brett, you know, would have sold out at the time. So maybe they're losers, but at the same time, they didn't get the full potential of what they could have. Uh, they, they could have had with Brett, you know, so.
0: But as far as the talents are concerned, I think financially, Austin became rich and famous. Brett yep. became richer. The famous part curtailed when he was uh, got injured. But you're right. You know, it's easy to say now, but even whatever the, all the, the other issues were, I have no idea. But he could have been used immensely better. Just basic booking. Like you said, running some of those markets... That he was, you know, over, quote unquote. Just I don't know. I never understood. It's a head scratcher, no doubt about that. So, well, it's interesting. How old are you, in ninety-seven, Pat?
1: I was I was twenty years old.
0: Did you leave the Molson Center pissed off?
1: No, not pissed off. <laughs> but I was I was really wondering what was happening. But but the the, the funny thing about that is I was going to a university at the time, and the very next day. I was, you know, I probably wore my, uh, my D-Generation X t-shirt and there was a guy in one of my classes that I, you know, never talked before and he was wearing his uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin t-shirt. <laughs> so he invited me to sit next to, next to him, you know, because, oh, well, you know, he's a wrestling fan, you know, why not, you know, share a few stories. And uh, we started to become friends. And a few years later, he started his wrestling website in French and started being involved on the independent scene in Montreal. He brought me into this, and I'm certain that I would have not written any wrestling books if it it wasn't for this guy bringing me to Paul LeDuc's promotion uh, back in 2001 and myself getting involved uh, on the independent scene here. So you know, you never know where life was gonna, uh, is going to bring you, and Survivor Series uh, helped me become friends with this guy, and maybe getting all of this now, you know. So it's it's funny how life works sometimes.
0: Yeah. Funny how the pieces fall together, Pat. No doubt about it. Well, folks, the uh, book Mad Dog, the Maurice Bashan story. If you're an older fan, a displaced fan, I appreciate you listening to our show, by the way. But uh, check this book out at Amazon.com. It's Maurice is a Fabulous character. I never, he's one guy I can tell you that I have never heard anyone when they talked about him, they didn't have a smile on their face because he was something. He was really, really something. And, uh, this story is told very well in this book, Amazon.com. Pat, I hope you have a great holiday. I'm, I'm really happy you took some time here and it's always good to catch up with you. I hope to see you in, uh, 2018 at the, Cauliflower Alley Club in Las Vegas.
1: Well, thanks for having me, uh, Jim, and a happy holidays to you and everybody listening right now.
0: Pat LaPrade is a fountain of information. Not as monsoon would say a fountain of misinformation like Bobby the Brain Heenan. Will you stop? Pat LaProd, thanks for being on, and uh, good book, folks. A really cool book about a real character. He didn't play a role on television. Did Mad Dog Bashan. He was absolutely phenomenal. So check that out. A mad dog, the Maurice and Sean story. Uh, And we're going to be talking to my good buddy, Sean Waltman. He's always got plenty to talk about. I got plenty of questions for him. He's doing some great work on his own podcast. And speaking of that, I want to thank one of our sponsors who makes this podcast possible. And that's my friends at true car. Well, ladies and gentlemen, here are some very useful car tips. You might not be aware of a coffee filter and a little bit of olive oil and clean your interior how about that removing excess weight from your car will improve gas mileage who knew and placing your key fob to your chin will increase its range weird right ready for one more tip you might not know about true car they also help you get a used car a great used car that's right true car Isn't just for buying new cars with their certified dealer network and nationwide inventory of nearly 1 million used cars. You'll be able to enjoy real pricing on actual inventory and a simpler buying experience. Thank God. Hallelujah. Whether you buy new or used, it'll be easier. And with TrueCar, users can see what others paid so they know that they're getting a good deal before they buy. As Ernie Ladd would say, don't come to work like a cabbage, all head, and nowhere in. You need information. They're also more likely to enjoy a faster buying experience by connecting with True Car certified dealers. When you're ready to buy a new or used car, ladies and gentlemen, check out TrueCar and enjoy a more confident car-buying experience. Some features are not available in all states. Uh-uh. Pass the gin.
1: Coming soon to Podcast One, Red Circle Sports with Dennis Miller. Get your weekend sports roundup every Tuesday exclusively from Podcast One and comedian Dennis Miller. He's going through and circling the most exciting headlines so you don't have to and bringing you a lot of laughs along with them. Be sure to download new episodes of Red Circle Sports with Dennis Miller every Tuesday on the Podcast One app, Apple Podcasts,
0: or at Podcast podcastone.com. Okay, before we welcome Sean Waltman back to the podcast, great guest, one of my favorite guests of all time. I just want to remind you guys very quickly that uh, the subscribe button at Apple Podcasts awaits you. It's a free subscription, cautionada, and uh, you also will never miss an episode of our show. They'll be automatically downloaded into the device of your choosing, including your phone or your tablet. As soon as they're released, which is every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern six o'clock here in California, where I am this time. So be sure and check it out and leave us a five-star rating. If you, if you don't mind and a comment or two, we appreciate that very much. Uh, the Ross report subscribe for free at Apple podcasts and always join us here at podcast one.com. This, this is the Ross report, man. He's a piece of work. Ladies and gentlemen, Sean Waltman, better known as at the real x on Twitter. You should follow them right. if you don't. So, Sean, thanks for joining us, buddy. How are how's the holidays going for you?
3: They're going great, Jim. Um, and just life in general is going great, regardless of whether it's holidays or not. There you go.
0: You, life is good. Yeah, it is. We got a lot, both of us have had a lot of blessings in our crazy lives, and uh, we're, still, about we're, it. we're still here to talk about it. For goodness sakes, you're one of the many of my friends and, and peers that are in the podcast business. Host of X-Pac XPOC One Two Three Sixty on after buzz tv how are you enjoying that endeavor how often does your show come out and tell us more about how my audience can listen uh it
3: comes out every wednesday and i'm i'm really fortunate you know maria menounos and uh and her fiance kevin undergirl put some wind behind my sails and uh and just gave me a, a lot of great resources you know the the show uh you know I've, most uh, people uh they catch it by you know the audio, but it's it's also a TV show as well. I'm just really blessed, like you were saying, man. I've got a lot of blessings, and and that's really one of them. And it's really show. I think I've been a really good guest on on other people's shows, Jim. But that doesn't always you're, mean you're going to make a good host, right? So I'm just really grateful that it's turning out uh, to be um, something that I can do.
0: Heck yeah, man, absolutely. <laughs> uh, and there's no bumps involved in that that particular. Uh...
3: Yeah, right. and and the thing is, Tim is is I'm pretty sure everybody already knows I'm not like giving any revelations. My promos and my talking wasn't uh, wasn't the best part of my game throughout my career. So, like for me to be uh, good at uh, at talking now is uh, is somewhat of a you know of a delight.
2: Yeah,
0: a yeah, absolutely. It's, <laughs> another, it's just another skill set. You know, you wish you'd have been proficient back in the day. Verbally, as you are now, but you know that's part of the game plan. That's just what not meant to be. Yeah, at that point, you know.
3: You know what? I guess I really didn't have to. I mean, it would've, I would have done a lot better, but I guess I didn't have to right. to, to to still do well. So I, I I neglected that part of my game, Jim, and I wish I hadn't. And so now that I have to be able to do that, I'm I'm stepping up and
0: doing it. Yeah, you damn sure are. Sean's still out there doing work. If you're looking at booking him for something, if you're a promoter. You can do that through showbiz, S-H-O-W-B-I-S, at at AOL.com. It's Bill Behrens. He's in Georgia. He's the last guy in the world to have an AOL account. Oh,
3: oh my God, Jim. Every time I I put, like, a tweet out that has that uh, email address, oh, I get so much... uh... I try to watch my language. I get so much crap from everyone about it, you know. I almost put the disclaimer: I don't even bother with the AOL yeah. jokes. I'm I'm over it. Yeah, but over. Anyways,
0: but nonetheless, yeah. uh, Bill Barrons is a good guy. I've done some. He's done some work for me in the past, and he'll do more in the future, I'm sure. But uh, if you're a promoter and you're going to deal with Bill Barrons, you're dealing with an honest guy.
3: Here's the thing about that, Bill, and, like, some people will shy away from dealing with them because they want to deal direct. But, you know, not not all of us are, are like, you know, a lot of us that are real creative and, and that aren't necessarily that good at organizing things and keeping track of things. So, you know, to have Bill Barron take care of things means I'm going to show up for my flight. I'm a, I know where I'm going to be, and, and you don't really have to worry about anything.
0: Yeah, agreed, agreed. I've got good old Barry Bloom helping me out, so uh, it's,
3: oh, yeah. it's a good relationship. Oh, yeah, definitely still keeping in t- contact with Barry as well. Yeah, good man. You know, I was Barry's first client after Jesse. Were you really? Yeah.
0: How'd you guys linger together?
3: Well, I was out here. I, 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 was, I got injured in, like, 96, like right before Royal Rumble. Anyways, I came out here, and I was... I was with Rich Mender from Gold's Gym and was rehabbing injuries and I, I just went to go meet Barry to talk about movies. And Barry told me, uh, hey, W C throwing money around, uh gonna you know, start paying a lot of money out. Will you ever think about jumping? And I hadn't I hadn't thought about it. You know, when you're working for Vince, you kinda of just are you yeah. know, you didn't really think about those things back like then. That. So that's when I got on the phone. I got I got Scott on the phone and that's how that whole ball started rolling.
0: Wow. It rolled the right way
3: for a lot of guys. For everyone, for everyone, Jim, yep. even for like the, the promotions, because everyone made a ton of money.
0: It was a super time to be uh, yeah getting paid. You know, I, I hired some guys from WCW that I told uh, Chris Jericho was one, Ray Mysterio was one. I said I can't pay you what you're getting guaranteed in Atlanta, but I believe that if you come here, you'll make more money than you're making in Atlanta. But you'll make yeah. it. You'll make it on what you what we draw and the discretionary payoffs and so forth and so on. And to the man, everybody I said that to it happened because they that's did. Right. They, blew, they blew that the number out of the water. I just had to be a responsible businessman and not mortgage the farm. And then you also find this out, Sean. Everybody's not like you. You find some guys that find their comfort zone in that big downside guarantee, and they've made all, that's all the money they need. They got you by those short hairs because they lost their passion, their own salary.
3: Exactly, exactly. No incentive to work extra,
0: to put in the extra work, Jim. It's not a good system, quite frankly, and how long were you in WCW? I can't even remember, you were there a good while, right? It was
3: like a little shy of
0: two years, but you know, like nine or ten months of that
3: was me on the shelf before getting canned.
0: Yeah, all part of the journey, man. It wasn't the first bump, it wasn't the first bump or the last bump in your road.
3: No. No, it was really, here's the deal, is I was sitting at home and, you know, just about ready to come back for my neck surgery and, you know, like, it won't go, like I've told the story before, but, you know, I got that FedEx saying I was let go, I was terminated and I was mad about being terminated by FedEx, but I was, I was just like, yeah, I was really happy because I was sitting at home, Jim, and I was watching, you know, it was right after the the Montreal thing happened. And so, you know how, like, momentum start picking up after that and I'm sitting at home watching it going oh, this is where it's, it looks like WWF's where it's dead again, mm-hmm. but it's definitely getting in that, so I, you know, I knew I wasn't going back to WCW once I got that termination letter, and you guys knew it too, that's why I got that low ball off from of <laughs> <laughs> uh... but, but Jim, you but Jim I did make so much more than my downside, three, three four times more. Exactly,
0: yeah. and it wasn't like your downside wasn't going to feed you and, and put a roof over your head. I mean, you wasn't like you working for you know slave wages. But the deal was, why wouldn't you want to incentivize everybody to do better? And the more you, hey, the more we build this thing, man, the more money we're going to share in. The bigger the pie yeah. is, the old man's to give you a bigger slice. We have got to get the yeah. pies big. So it's, you know, all the boys, most of the boys. Yeah, nobody trusts and anybody.
3: One time, one time, Jim, it was right before big merchand- uh, merchandising check. Uh, was coming my way, and I hadn't, got, hadn't received anything yet. Like I haven't got, hadn't gotten any big paydays yet. And you called me, and you, 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 you sat and talked to me for about half an hour, maybe twenty minutes, about like, hey, you know, you're coming into some money here, and you were trying to get me to make sure I had the financial planning all down, and you know, all of that stuff. And I, and I never forgot that, Jim.
0: You know that that role of being the head of talent relations is a, a thankless son of a gun. But the thing about it is that hearing you tell stories like that really makes me feel good because at least you remembered and you listened. Whether you acted upon it, I can't make you act upon it. I can just lay out the case of why you should do it because the damn taxes could be the kiss of death if you don't pay Ooh, them. tell me about it. Right? <laughs> well, you, you, it will follow you forever. Yes, it could very well man. You know, so and hopefully it won't, and nonetheless – I'm glad you remembered that and you earned a damn good living there for you and you worked. I was
3: I was in the million dollar uh range like for more than eight, more than a couple of years there. I was I was very very uh blessed.
0: Yeah, good money, buddy. Good money. You earned, yeah. it. You earned it. Hey, you know uh, I did a Oh yes. I did it. Sean, I did a Q and a the other day in Boston. One of the uh questions was considering the 25th anniversary of Raw's coming up on January 22nd.
3: It's coming from uh, from the Barclays Center and the Manhattan Center, right. or from like the the Hammerstein, one of those places, right?
0: Yes, Hammerstein and and the Barclays Center, two, two two different locations. I'm just so excited about that opportunity to see a lot of my friends and a lot of people I don't get to see that often. Somebody said to me, "What do you want to do at the 25th anniversary of Raw?" And I said, well, "I don't I don't really care. I mean, whatever I'm needed to do is what I'll do." And they said, "Well." Don't you want to call a match? Well, sure, I'd like to call a match, but if I don't, and I get to see all my buddies, and I'm part of the festivities. Then hell, it'd be great—a trip to New York City on Vince's dime. Oh yeah. You get to come back to the to one of those arenas and and interact with the fans. That's a hell of a gig. Have you been invited back? I have. Great.
3: Well, yeah, yeah. I got it like like probably about a couple of months ago, maybe six weeks ago. I got a call or a message from them telling, telling me to hold the date. Cool. Good. So I'm really looking
0: forward to it. I, I talked to Kevin Nash, he's going. His leg's gonna let him, you know, after that.
3: Yeah, you got that leg straightened out, huh?
0: Yeah, man. On his Twitter account at real Kevin Nash, he uh had a picture of it on there. I said, If Jerry Briscoe saw this, he'd probably get sick. You know, yeah, Jerry, no, you Jerry would Jerry had a real weak stomach, you know, so but it was a rugged looking And he said, you know, they they did a ton of work in there, man. It was I guess it's destroyed. Just horrible. So
3: well, did you see how he was walking for the last couple of years? That one, that leg was like bent, you know? Yeah. I mean, it was brutal.
0: Yeah. And it's it was bowed,
3: bowed more, outwards.
0: More painful by the day. So I'm glad he got it fixed. Easy for us to say because we're not going through the rehab and all the, the BS. Yeah. But I don't care what I do at the 25th anniversary of RAW. I got my jersey back. I got on the team. I'm going to be at the game. Yeah. However I play or whatever I do, it will be just fine. And I'll be honored to be there. Because my buddies are well, my buddies are going to be there, and we all had a lot of memories from that era of those early days of RAW, you know. So hey, I was going to wow. t- my my point is this: this question this guy said, "What do you remember about the 25th anniversary of RAW?" Uh, and I said, "Well, gosh, that's a big question, you know." I said, "Well, is there one match that really sticks out?" And I said, "Yeah, there's Randy Savage and I called X Pac, Sean Waltman, and uh, Bret Hart." They had like I think you guys had like a two segment match. Yeah, and uh, I said, it was
3: it was it was cut down to about twenty five minutes, but we went about almost well over thirty.
0: Well, it was a great story. You sold, but you never gave up, and you can say to some guys, young guys these days, I want you to really, really sell, but don't you give up. And they look yeah. at you inquisitively, like, "What the hell are you talking about, old man?" I said, "Well, there's different levels of selling."
3: So Jim, about that match, and it's like it's my match that I I'm most proud of, singles match wise. But I watched it one time when it, when there was all the heat with with Randy and and when they put that match out on video, finally they had it voiced over with with Gorilla and Stan Lane, and they just, just they oh oh my God, they ruined it. They ruined it. Wow. And so like you you and Mach, made that match. He, I mean when you watch it back. Both, like, with, with their commentary and your, like, it's so it's night and day. It changes the experience, Jim, so I'm so grateful for that.
0: Oh, God, thanks, man. So if you go to WWE Network, which is a hell of a bargain, and I'm not, hey, look, I'm not getting on no commission, but at nine ninety five, you get all the pay-per-views, sometimes two a month. Are you kidding me? Let's do the math. I mean, come yeah. on, do the math. So I think it's a great value, but you know what? You reminded me of that. I, I'm i going to go on the network, and I'm going to find that match. I'm going to listen to it, because I was never really comfortable working with Randy. Hey, look, not knocking his talent, hugely yeah. ta- talented guy, hugely talented as a worker and unique sound as a broadcaster, but he just never trusted anybody. And I knew I'd heard that about you know his wrestling. He didn't trust yeah. people overall. I said, well, surely he wouldn't be that way announcing. Absolutely the same way. He didn't trust me for what I was saying.
3: Did he think you were trying to cut his grass the, yeah. at, at
0: the announce table? Absolutely. Damn. But I want to go back and listen to that. That was a, You guys told us such a beautiful story. It shows you, too, the professionalism, just the overall uh, class of Bret Hart. Because he damn sure did not have to give you as much of that match as he did. But, boy, it made it. And then when he beat yeah, you. He did. And when he beat you, it meant something for both of you.
3: Yeah, that's like, to me, a textbook example of how you win getting beat.
0: Bingo. You made an impact. People remembered you from that experience. For You you gave great effort. We told a decent story. You know, it was just a terrific presentation. But I get it's all these years later. I get that question like I got a weekend or two ago about that. I know you're a worldly social mediaite. What do you think yeah. of the Twitterverse uh, sparring between Corny and Jim Cornette and his uh, Daniel Cormier, I saw got in on it, and yeah, and then their young bucks and Cody and those guys.
3: I I just think that some certain people in and the wrestling side of it get way too bent out of shape over it, man. You know, like I I just I think that there's some valid criticisms. You know, not the one, not the guys that just that just crap all over you know wrestling, saying it's fake and all it's stupid. Um, you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, but that the 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 Daniel Cormier. You know, like, all that stuff. It was just a uh, – and I'm a fan of Young Bucks, all that stuff. I do, but, like, some of it's just a little much for me. And in that one spot, I can understand how somebody could take, you know.
0: It was a, it was a spot. It you was know, a little much. You know the first time I saw a tag team both tried drop kicks, and they drop kicked each other's feet? Who? Little Brook. Ah. Uh, little Tokyo. Yeah. Cowboy Lang. And somebody else, I can't remember, but – because I used to hate the referee in their matches because the little bastards were just ornery and they, they, <laughs> yeah, they were stinky miserable oh yeah, Miser- miserable <laughs> unhappy, you know, drunk. I remember Fort Smith, we had a a, a portable shower in the dressing room, and the, the dressing room had two doors, uh, but it was just one room was, you know what the hell's this so anyway, so by the time the referee got and I was a referee and I got in the shower the very last person, so there's never any co- hot water. I'll go in there and think we're ready to go. And said, so the main event guys are waiting on the shower, too. I said, what's going on? And one of the guys pulled the curtain back, and there was one of the little guys with a boner pleasing himself in the shower. <laughs> and they and, and he, he laughed devilishly, you know, that he got busted. So they are crazy. He probably hung like a horse, too. Oh, of course, you know. Yeah, tri- <laughs> little, little tripods. So anyway, right. that was a part of the journey that we talked about. That's one of the nights where we, I remember that night very well for another reason because I got paid in hot dogs. I got two hot dogs. Ah, oh,
3: that's the night you got paid in hot dogs, yeah,
0: Jim. I got two hot dogs and I asked the guy if I could have a coke for the road, and he wanted me, yeah. he wanted me to pay for it. So I got no. So you're not going to give me any money. You're going to give me two cold hot dogs, and you're not even going to spring for the coke. Thank you very mm. much. That was a promoter. He mm. didn't want to work for it too much. Uh, Leonard Clay is his name, by the way. No longer with us. Where was that? That was in uh, Fort Smith, Arkansas. Ah, uh, okay. Jimmy Lot's Sports Arena on Towson Avenue. Well, anyway, I'm, I'm with you. I think that I hope that, you know, Kevin Nash and I are talking about him being a 30-year guy in the business, right at 30. Yeah. He says, his in his opinion going forward, there's going to be a whole lot less thirty-year guys because the way a lot of these young lads are working and the chance they take, the bumps on the on the apron, the bumps on the floor, so forth. They're not going to be too many guys who have a thirty-year career. They're going to be crippled. They're going to be stoved up. They're going to be where they can't do it. What do, you, what do you think of that? Is that are we going to see less thirty-year guys and and those kind of guys uh, going forward?
3: I'm curious. You would think that that would be the case.
0: It's some of the bumps that, that
3: like like some of like. I noticed that like there's less bump taking in some things. Like, not every time somebody gets hit these days, like with a kick or something, they don't necessarily take a flat back. So, like the the you know less flat backs might you know add some time to the career. But some of that stuff, yeah, if they miss any of it, you know, it seems like you. It
0: does. Yeah, it's just, I just want kids, these guys, to have long careers and make money and take care yeah. of their family, educate their kids, provide a home, all those things that we all want to do and we're trying to do. But man, you, you know, the, we know how the business is. If you're not able to do your thing, it severely limits your opportunities yeah. to make good money.
3: You know, like for me, you know, I, I had that reputation as being a guy that did a lot of stuff earlier on in my career. And I felt like, and, I, and I'm and i pretty sure I'm correct in saying that I've, I've, I needed to do that at the time to get noticed. But eventually, obviously, I, I uh, you know, my style evolved and, and, you know, I started, you know, making it to where, Every match wasn't a dive out to outside the ring or, yeah. you know, things like that. You were one of the so.
0: first guys that I remember that really was proficient and diverse in your using kicks, uh, what you did with your kicks, and from different yeah. positions, different angles, different looks. But your feet were a big part of your offense, it seems to recall.
3: For sure. Well, obviously, you know, everyone still talks about uh, the educated feet, Jim.
0: Where'd that comes from the
3: fra- <laughs> uh, somebody coined
0: it, yeah, somebody.
3: but uh, I wouldn't have been the success that I've been if it wasn't for that. Yeah, that kid- was my equalizer. Damn
0: right, buddy. You know
3: that was the reason why a big show, Undertaker, or guys like that could take a bump for me and sell for me. I mean, Yoko, all those guys.
0: Man, what a crew! You right? well, That was a hell of a crew, wasn't it? Hell of a crew, yeah. those guys. There's a lot of Jack Daniels drunk in that in that era. A lot of it gargled. <laughs> God almighty. I smell Jack Daniels to this day. I get nauseous. I now can, I do. I, I can't do it now. Yeah. Honestly, I'm just weak.
3: Even, even you mentioning it kind of makes me a
0: little <laughs> bit funky. Oh, God. We'll move away from that.
3: No, no. I mean, no, it's no, just, you know, I kind of can almost smell it yeah, when, you, when
0: no, you said that. Me too. We, me too. Me too. The news of the internet the last uh, few days has been something involving Vince going to create a, a separate entity of using his own funds. Separate from WWE entirely, a company called Alpha Entertainment. What's your thoughts when you heard that?
3: Oh, is this with the, with the talk of uh, revamping the XFL and
0: everything? Yeah, well, some kind of football and, and other yeah. events. They said this. Experts say that if the new football league, if that's what happens, some yeah. form gets the same type low ratings that we got back in 2001, that for those low ratings, it's kind of like being a a two fifty hitter in baseball. You'll be a millionaire. The ratings that we earned for the XFL now, with the rights fees where they are, and so many platforms that need content, that just duplicating those numbers puts you in a, in a black. So I don't know. I don't know, man. I don't know, Jim, because
3: you know, like when when Vince did Ico
0: yeah,
3: that was you know, like that was ahead of its time. You know, if it would have came. If it would have came along like five years later, around maybe a little more, a little less, it might have taken off because the products were good, and and it's just that it was ahead of its time and that you know like nutritional supplements weren't a big deal yet. So who knows? Maybe like you know, I hate to
0: I hate to doubt Vince because you know damn well he doesn't doubt himself. Nope. And I also tell you this, he's a big guy in research. He's very well read. I know on the plane going back to TV. After a TV, not before, because before the TV was on the way to it, he was going over the shows. But on the way home, unless they were going to pay-per-view or something, but on the way home, he was uh, always reading. A vociferous reader. So I'm mm. sure that whatever he's going to do, he's done a lot of due diligence. Even though he's got a lot of money, there's there's a reason he got a lot of money. He, he's not stupid with it. Yeah. Just don't see
3: him using all his money in this other project anyways.
0: Yeah, shoot, come on. I think, come he, on, should, right? I think he should buy the Carolina Panthers. They're for sale. He's a North Carolinian.
3: Oh yes, I didn't even think of that.
0: So I'd say, you know, look, I don't talk to anybody, Sean. I I swear to God. But the owner of the Panthers, who's gotten a little trouble apparently, some kind of sexual harassment thing or sexual something. Yeah. uh, He says he's going to sell his team after the season. Well, they've been a very successful franchise. You know, Vince is from North Carolina. He's made a couple of bucks. He would automatically become the best marketer in the league. You know, so I don't know. I just this is me kind of joyously thinking about it because I know I can get if I get tickets. <laughs> but he'll, whatever he's going to do, he'll it'll be well thought out. I ain't going to doubt him, man. For a guy that can take a ratty business in smoke filled arenas that was just horrible entertainment in a lot of ways, you know, false advertising, not a lot of character. Some promoters, some promoters are good as gold, but there are a lot that weren't. Yeah, you know, he's done he's done an amazing job of taking a pro wrestling and getting it on, a, on its own network, getting it global, going public. So if you start doubting him now and only want to research ICO Pros, for example, or the XFL, for example, then uh, so be it. That's or your WBS. Yeah, that's your call. But there's some of us like to look at half full glasses instead of half empty glasses. That's all I'm saying. One thing I think this tells me, maybe, and this is assuming, you, you know them both very well, but it seems to me like if Vince does another venture of some sort, I would think that that would mean that Paul Levesque is going to have to assume an even bigger role on the resting side. Wow!
3: Well, yeah, you would think, right? But it's 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 at the same time it's almost hard for me to imagine.
0: Why is that? Gosh, Vince is
3: so still hands on with everything, Jim, You know that?
0: Yeah, well, he is. I'm just saying. I'm asking the question: Is it a sign of the times? That Vince is going to pass more of the responsibility on the wrestling side to his son-in-law and his daughter, and let's don't forget, you know, Shane's back in the picture. Shane's on TV, so he certainly has people there that he can trust, and he's got a lot of really good people working for him. So, but you know, Vince loves the calculator risk. He's a little bit of a gambler, and yeah. I kind of like that about him. So. We'll see how that, how that works out. He's
3: not afraid to step outside his comfort zone,
0: Jim. That's it, baby. You got it. You got it. I had the first meeting with Vince after the XFL went down, and I think he lost $50 million. And everybody knew on his calendar, apparently, who had the first meeting that day. JR had a meeting. Oh. Mm. Sean, I didn't even think about it in that context. So I, after the meeting was over, some of his executives say, how was the meeting with the old man? How's the old man doing? How's Vince? And I said, we talked about the XFL of maybe five minutes. And basically it was, well, JR, it was a good idea. And we all put a lot of work into it. And we lost some money. But it was a calculated risk. I knew that going in. And so did Dick Eversole in NBC. I think they learned a lot from that experience.
3: I think it was kind of a bummer that like they got ridiculed so much for, for, for taking the risk and, and, and you know trying something.
0: Well, the NFL, I can promise you this. I know for a fact that the NFL did not want the XFL to succeed, and any time an NFL writer, a writer that was an NFL beat writer, or somebody that had skin in a game with the NFL, we got damned. I got ripped and gutted in quarter by Rudy Marchke. He was a writer for the USA Today, and he, yeah. was, he thought this wrestling guy, this wrestling person, what does he know about football? <laughs> and, and and I he didn't you know he didn't even he never even talk to me because I was a wrestling guy I got gut and quartered there as I said and it was just not good so I think they learned a lot of things from their last go round if it's going to be football and maybe football and other things too heck who knows so I like their chances because I can only imagine the kind of dream team that Vince would put together on the administration side. They, oh yeah. A lot, of, <laughs> a lot of football people out there, a lot of TV people out there. And Vince has got friends in the NFL, too, like Jerry Jones. Uh, so yeah. it going to be an interesting thing there, of course, all said, a sudden. Something to stay tuned about, you know. I think that if Paul takes over more of the wrestling side, the company is in great shape. Yes, And, and Vince being able to go out and be challenged with a new venture just refreshes him. He flips another switch or two.
3: It's been quite a while, Jim. It's you you know it's no surprise Vince is getting that itch again because he's always got to try it. when business is good or everything's you know fine It's like he always gets to venture out and try something else, you know yep
0: that's him that's his yeah. spirit that's his spirit animal is that
3: always hungry
0: uh, yeah, and he'll always but, then it, it will freshen his batteries and and recharge the computer in his head, then the wrestling stuff will come out. And that'll be good because there's this event called WrestleMania coming up that he always puts his magic touch on, and it comes bigger than we think it will be. We always wonder, well, what are we gonna do next year? Mm. Or, you know, well, the, he has. To I've l-
3: never been one of those people, Jen, Like, you know, they're always like, "Hey, we need to save that for." I'm like, "No, it's just like when putting a match together. Oh, uh, save that for." I'm like, "No, I can come up with something good later too. Like, there's always something more." So, yeah, I'm. I'm I'm kind of like for hey let's just give it
0: yeah <laughs> everything we, we've got <laughs> challenge yourself challenge yeah. yourself to be more unique and to change your routine change your sequencing a little bit and challenge- I'm
3: glad you said routine Jim because that's one of the things I think that's like it, there's so much about wrestling that's that's routine like that I I really wish would like would get changed up a little bit routine spots and matches, like every time a guy takes a tackle, you know there's a drop down coming. Or, you know, just things of that nature.
0: Yeah, the routines. That's I think that's kind of what Cornette was talking about the young bucks uh, on that spot. You know, it it seemed to him to be too choreographed. I will admit to you I haven't seen it. Uh, I've read about Uh, it. I don't care to see it because it's not going to change my mind about things. Uh, That is not an issue to me. They want to do a a six-man drop-kick spot. Well, if the audience there bought it, then maybe it's better than we thought, type thing. So you know. it's
3: yeah, I'm fine with all like different kinds of me too. You know ways of presenting wrestling where where some guys are
0: are not as open about it. The boys are making a living, Sean, and yeah. if they're making a living by that style, then so be it. So be and it. I'm just a fan of all most just about all of it. I like a
3: little of everything. I like the strongest style as you can get, and I like some of the. St- Stuff that people find the silliest, too, Jim.
0: Well, me too. It depends on my mood and, and how it's presented. Yeah. It's all in presentation. It's like, new, it's
3: like different kinds of music. Yeah. Depends on the mood.
0: You grew up in Minnesota. Did you know Tom Zink?
3: Uh, actually, I grew up mainly in St. Pete, Florida, but I did know Tom a little bit. That's right. Uh, because, you know, I lived in uh, right right on the edge of Robbinsdale, and Tom was the last surviving member of wrestlers from the Robbinsdale High school class of 1976, which included Kurt Hennig, Nikita Koloff, Brady Boone, uh, Brady Boone, yeah, and Rick Rude.
0: Did you ever hear what took Tom's life? I have never heard.
3: Um, it, it's still the, there's still not been a cause of death. Uh some you know a couple of other people have reached out to me and asked me that just because I you know yeah you know Tom went to school when he like you know he was friends with 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 Linese Hennig with Kurt's. Uh, wife, you know, like uh, before they, before I think Kurt knew her. And so like they might, I don't know if any of them keep in contact or kept in contact, but I just know like that, like there was a thing there like after like Rude passed away where Kurt was really freaked out with all the all the Robbinsdale guys dying, you know? Mm-hmm. And then he was the next one.
0: Yeah, yeah. God, what a, what a talent he was. Jesus Christ. Kurt hitting people need to see Kurt Henning, he'll wow you. I still, people say, Well, you're really old school. The Nick Boclick or kurt Henning matches were really good. Yeah. Really Howard
3: good. Broadway. Hey, Jim, that Robbinsdale High School, it wasn't just 76, man. That's probably, as far as high schools in this country go, there's probably not a high school out there that has produced more I mean, it's it's insane how many great wrestlers have come from there, starting from G- Vern Gagne. Yeah, Larry Hannig. I mean, it's
0: just it, crazy. Yeah, it is. Vern was a good teacher. Larry D'Arso. Yeah. A lot of guys. Vern was a good teacher. It had kind of archaic, sadistic ways, but it got results. And, and guys are willing to go that extra mile. I talked to Josh Barnett uh, recently on our show, and he was talking about the New Japan Dojo and the, yeah. and the commitment those kids make to they live there, they clean there, they eat there, they train there. It's a very unique atmosphere, and I said to Josh, I admire the philosophy, but I don't know, for the sake of argument, that it would work in America.
3: Oh, it's funny you mentioned that, because I was talking to George Carroll, who who works with New Japan. As well, he was asking me if if I thought that the dojo system would work over here, and I kind of thought about it for a second, and I, I, I think it, I think it would. Well, I think of, it would. It's probably it would probably have to be tweaked a little bit, obviously from from how they do it in Japan. Well,
0: honestly, saying here's a, here's my deal: the U.S. government over legislation, HIPAA laws, HR issues. Uh, yeah, you know, so your job description is A, B, C, D, and E, and clean the toilets. D, E, and F, and clean the kitchen. Uh, so, you become a little bit of a janitor, housekeeper, and you're there to learn to wrestle. And the way that they, I've heard that they base that their training, Sean, you know better than me, is that they kind of teach you how to shoot first before you. Yes, you do. To insure the damn thing with American ambulance chasing lawyers, be tough, buddy. Be tough.
3: I, yeah, I see where you're coming from on
0: that. Uh, I also. Question, but they,
3: I, you know they had the, they had New Japan Dojo here in Santa Monica when in like the early 2000s that I used to go to. You know that's where Daniel Bryan was. And, yeah. You know it was a it was a hell of a place, man. It was just the rent was extremely high in Santa Monica, and you know it was eventually closed. But what a place that was.
0: Who was training there? Who was the trainers?
3: Wasn't Josh Barnett? Yeah, there was different guys that would come there. Like Inoki was there all the time. I tried, I trained with Inoki there a couple of times, but I'm not sure who was actually like the head of the dojo. I'm really not. I, it, Rocky Romero definitely was like one of the heads there at one point.
0: Yeah, he had a good hand. Yeah. Sound fundamentally. Yeah. Well, my issue is that the the American government is just to have to screw something like that up. And then, of course, again, getting insurance for your investment might be challenging yeah. under that, that deal. It would be tough, to say the least. Hey, I saw where our old friend uh, PJ Polaco kind of fell off the wagon. Yeah. Yeah. Sean, you've been there. What do you tell him? What do you say to him? You know, because you...
3: I talked to him the other night, like after it happened, and I I just tell him like, "Hey, man, like this is like it's not just peach it was me. It's we're going to keep ourselves in that spot in life until we truly believe that we don't deserve to be miserable, Jim. Right? You know, and and man, it's really hard. to get there it took me over 10 years like a dozen years to get there jim you know once i sell
0: you were always trying to i I think and correct me if i'm wrong and i'm not dr phil for god's sakes you could you could i go i lay on your couch first and you know you can can figure me out but i think you may have had self-esteem issues i I think you had a inferiority complex because you weren't the biggest dog in the fight but we all knew you had great skills and you and here's the other thing you went through all the clutter and were able to make relationships with a lot of guys and not just guys where, where we would think, well, Sean's going to be a good uh, early card, mid card guy, probably at best, but he's a good sound hand. He's always has a great match, blah, blah, blah. A lot of those guys kind of fraternized with their own. You were, yep. you were hanging around with all the main event guys and they liked you and you rode with them and it was a cool thing. So,
3: I always looked at myself like that, Jim. Yeah. Like that's who I was, and that's it. Might not have been at that moment, but that's where I was headed. And I had, I didn't, I honestly, I did have a lot of like, you know, uh, like insecurities in that. But they, none of them happened once I got in that ring. I promise you that. that and, was, and I, it, that was your, and safe, I knew,
0: Jim, that was your safe place.
3: Yes, exactly. Right. I was in control of things out there. Yes, sir. And yeah, no, I just, I really had no other uh like i never had i never had that self, self-doubt when it came to that part you know now i wasn't confident on the stick obviously but uh you know um so yeah i i've, I've been real fortunate in in that um and that i've i've made some really uh i it was tj songboat told me like one time you know trailer <laughs> you know he used to call me trailer yeah. he goes when you're sitting at home I mean, none of these guys are gonna be calling you asking how you're doing when you're hurt, things like that. You know, but he was wrong. He was wrong. Like he might have been right about that for when he was doing it and and for his situation. But I have to tell you, Jen, my experience is different. I I, I am so grateful for the amount of people I consider really good friends in investment. You know, that have called me and reached out to me at all kinds of different times. You know, in the in my darkest hours.
0: Well, a lot of us have been in your corner for a long time.
3: Yeah, you yeah. have. I consider you one of those people I was just talking about, Jim.
0: I appreciate that, man. Same, same <laughs> here. I was just going to ask you: you, you, you're still working. You're still working some shows. Again, sure. uh, if you want to book you for appearance, a clinic, whatever, showbiz s h o w b i s at aol dot com, and Bill Barron's is your guy there. In your travels, who have you seen that is not a WWE person, but that? may in time have a good chance to be one. Who's out there that's kind of caught your eye?
3: Well, I, I just got back from a tour of Australia. It was great, Jim. And um, by the way, I am in some of the best shape I've ever been in my entire life right now.
0: Good. Uh, that's how I saw and, you look great. You really did.
3: Yeah, I got my, I'm in pretty good shape. I'm not going to lie. But uh, I was over there, and Austin Aries was on the card. Obviously, he just left there. And he, I think he's going to do well you know, out there on that, on the independent scene. I think he's going to do great. But there's guys like, like Ricochet, man. Oh my God. Jim.
0: He's a piece of business, isn't he?
3: Yeah. And the things that people might say about him, like, oh yeah, but this, this and this about his work or whatever. Any of those things are things that you can fix or you can learn or any of that stuff. All those, all the things that he brings to the table, like nobody can do that stuff, Jim. He's on a he's on a whole different level. I mean, there's a, maybe one or two other guys on that level as far as athleticism.
0: I, I love his game. I met him at the Charlotte Mid Atlantic Legends Convention in Charlotte that Greg yeah. Price used to put on. I had I enjoyed that. He was there with Tully's daughter. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: Tessa. Yeah, they're together, and yeah. he's such a humble yeah. uh, guy. You know, just the, just the kind of guys that you want on your crew.
0: Yeah. You want, them, you, know? you want those kind of guys in your locker room. You don't, yeah. you don't need every lawyer that you can hire to come to your locker room. You, everybody are, are guys that want to take a shortcut because they're shortchanging yeah. everybody else in the locker room when they do that. I don't know why. In the old days, it wasn't really accepted too much in the locker room because you had fewer guys in a territory. And so if you did something really stupid or you got your ass lazy or out of shape, it stood out more because the cards were smaller and the, and the crew was smaller. So it's yeah. a, a different world in that time. I'm really glad that on that 25th Raw you're coming to that. That'll be good. I look forward to seeing you there. Yeah, uh, you too. Yeah, it'll be a good deal. You know, Josh and I are going to be doing some Access TV work for the three-hour special on uh, Saturday night, January the 6th. You know?
3: Wow, yeah, that's going to be great, I think.
0: The, the I think so, too. The show is live in Tokyo on the 4th. We're on the morning, our morning in the States of the 4th. We're going to voice it over three matches for sure uh, so
3: you're gonna do it from here yeah or are you going to J- japan no, okay.
0: no la but it will be a few hours behind the our voiceover will be a few hours behind the event occurring and i know josh feels the same way i don't plan on watching one frame of film or tape <laughs> until we do the match right i don't forget I don't, i'm not gonna read everybody's spoilers and who got five stars and who got seven and eight and I will like Oh, to,
3: I see. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah, I yeah.
0: I don't want to precondition myself and say, well, everybody said this wasn't a good match, and I thought it was pretty good, so now I'm conflicted. I don't. I want to go cold yeah. turkey. If the talent tell me the story and it can suck me into that whole storyline, then I will do the best I can to provide them a good narrative. But I don't want to be preconditioned by it by saying, well, you know, this some, reading what somebody else said about it. Is so, that
3: how you are all the time, Jim? Do you ever like to know uh,
0: what's coming in advance? No. Don't need to know. It'd be the same way of doing a football game. You're not going to tell you who's going to win, and I right. I'd like to, the game to unfold and then provide the the story. You know, it's the old yeah. deal, Sean. You've heard me say the wrestlers provide the music and the announcer provide the lyrics. The idea is to put them together and you make a real nice uh, presentation. And that's, that's a really good way of putting it. So I believe I really, I've always looked at it. And hey, look, I'll be I'll be prepared. Hell yeah, I'll be prepared. I'll know all about these dudes, and I got hmm. great people that help me with notes some of the smartest guys in the wrestling business bar none are helping me with notes on uh, the new japan product so I, i'll nice. be prepared i just i don't need to know everything
3: can i ask you something when you went to japan you went into japan and did it from there last year right
0: yes wrestle kingdom nine
3: yeah okay so you were out there for what four hours yeah didn't you have to pee ever
0: oh yeah but you just tough it out You we wore darks so no, you them,
3: don't like put a catheter in or pee in a bottle or something underneath yeah. the table?
0: No, no. I <laughs> I don't my business stays holstered the entire show oh. and you wear darks just in case. You lessen your liquid intake mid-afternoon uh. at, at worst. And here's the funny thing about that show. We do that four hour show, maybe a little longer, I'm not sure. We never got one cue. We never heard one word from the truck. When we came on the air no one told us we were on the air. We just kind of guessed. I did working with Matt Stryker. so we did the whole show, every match live from ringside, and never heard a word from anybody. We didn't know it was, huh. what was a package next or whatever. I think they actually forgot we were there. I really didn't. I was
3: just I was just about to say that. Yeah. So uh, yeah. Did they even know in the first place?
0: Yeah, they knew we were coming because we did a pay per view and they made some money on it. That pay per view did well. Can you imagine that they had the vision? Or the desire, or the whatever, to have a pay-per-view headline with that uh, Jericho Omega match, and people could buy it in the states on pay-per-view for you know nineteen
3: dollars. Uh, I watch them do watch them do a rematch and try to do that.
0: They might. You're right. That's a good point. Hey, somebody said, "You know, it's only going to be a one-off." I said, "Well, who said that?"
3: Yeah. Somebody They're s- doing a no DQ already though, which I think is kind of weird.
0: Yeah, I guess they thought they had to instead of doing another run-in or another confrontation. I liked what Jericho did on getting the color on Kenny in the, yeah. and I liked the next, I talked to Chris the next morning, his time. And, uh, before he we went to the press conference where they did another angle, I really liked the way they built this thing. They, it's old school and pressful though, right?
3: Yep. And it's nice and simple too. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Sometimes I think those in the business are so consumed by the business they can't see the forest for the trees. And sometimes they overthink things that should be much simpler. Because, you know, I can't remember every angle, every segment, every show. And there are people that do. You read about it every day on Twitter and things.
3: I, I've had a theory about that for a long time. And, and it goes that, like, some people, like in, and it happens in matches, too. People overthink their matches and they go out there and they're trying to entertain themselves and not the people.
0: Yeah, see that.
3: You know, even in their head when they're booking things and they're fantasy booking or whatever, and it all seems great in their head, but man, people are like, what the hell's going on here?
0: We know the Russell King is going to be a great card. They're there's adding a lot of sizzle to it. I think they got a hair match and some different things, a lot of old school life yeah. tendencies and, and facets.
3: Because of Gato, because Gato, the, the booker, like, I, he was a guy, I like, when I first went to Japan, like, I had feuds with him, like, and he, like, I know him very well. He's a huge American wrestling fan and his idol is Terry Funk. So like, it's no surprise to me that all these, like they're doing all these innovative things over there, like things that New Japan would have never had. They would have never had a ladder match before.
0: All right. Exactly. I think the card is diverse. I like it. Why do you think there's such a buzz about New Japan? I think there's a huge buzz about it when they did the two days in Long Beach. Yeah, And I'm sure there'll be a, a regenerated buzz in March and they come back to Long Beach at a bigger arena. But yeah. what makes their product, in your eyes, just for a simple explanation, what's the difference in, in New Japan and, and the American-based promotions?
3: I just think that there's so many people that used to love wrestling that no longer watch for, you know, because they're trying to appeal to everyone and the kids and whatever. But they really are... It's kind of like it almost, in a way, a throwback, like to the hard-hitting, like no nonsense, athletic sporting events approach.
0: Yep, it, presenting it. It is an old school, fundamental old school in that regard. They do, you yeah. know, their music's up to date, and their costumings, their tires, good, and the, you know, their their lighting's good. they all that's fine, you know. Uh, and I think that to the Jericho. Angle with uh, Omega is going to increase yeah. their house significantly. They set their Can goals they, they set their goals to do 30,000 people. And I always thought that oh, was Oh, it's not, a Tokyo that, Dome? Yeah. Not, that's not a big goal. No, it's half a house. Yeah. I'm thinking more than that will be there for this show. And I oh, think for they, sure. They, they they kind of ignited it. And here's the thing that's kind of unique. The Okada-Naito match, the main event for the IWGP title against the G1 winner, is kind of backburned, it seems like. At least it is here, yeah. here. I don't know how it is in Japan, obviously, but it seems like... Oh, well, the, Naito is making a deal
3: about it, like going to the press and like saying, Oh, this is BS. This isn't a double main event. We're the main event. Yeah. You know, and I think that's healthy, Jims.
0: Me too. Absolutely. It's a different perspective you'd never got in the old days. Yeah. Nobody's going to pull the curtain back. Hey, uh, you've been a fan for your entire life. You had that early racing, Sean, in Florida, which is phenomenal wrestling territory. Yeah. when I regret, I didn't get to work as a young dude. And I probably really would have had some problems because there's too many distractions down there. Yeah. You hang there in, in Minnesota. Like you said, Robbinsdale High, Gondis Territory, big
3: Going time. Going to Brad Rangan's
0: camp. Yeah, big time. If you were asked, as I'm doing now, to name your four-man Mount Rushmore of the business, on any criteria you choose, best workers, best drawers, the best Whatever would be your personal preference as far as wine, they're there. What four people are on that Mount Rushmore?
3: Like, okay, wow, Jim, that's a tough one. But
2: man,
3: I'm thinking like I'm thinking a little bit outside the box here, and like maybe well, somebody from each, like maybe Flair, uh, Santo, or Mil Mascaris. Uh, Inoki, and I'm thinking one other guy to to make it before. But you know what I mean? Somebody else like that. Yeah. You know they were huge, like Inoki in in Japan, and and that is as big as anybody has ever been here. I think. Or right up there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well. And
3: and and El and El Santo and and, and, and Mill are are right up there too. I, it. It's a little weird of me to say it like that, but I was just trying to think of something different.
0: So. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. I can get up on one side of the bed and say four names, and I can get up on another side of the bed today right. and give you four more, and they're both good. It's hard to qualify. That's like saying to me, what's the greatest match you ever called? I ain't, right. got, I ain't got a damn clue. Honest to God, don't have a clue. <laughs> well, I mean, really, I've, had, I've called a lot of noteworthy matches in the first class of champions. I was worked on that with Shivani. Is that Superdome? Which one?
3: Superdome. Was that Flair Steamboat?
0: Well, I had three of them. Super- yeah, but one
3: was from the Superdome.
0: Superdome. Chicago. It was two
3: out of three with, like, yeah. a the first chicken was, wing suplex yeah, there.
0: Yeah, yeah, Chicago was the first one where Steamboat won the title. Yeah. I could have killed George Scott, man. I'm walking to my table to join Magnum TA for the call. George runs up behind me and grabs me and says, Now, you know we're changing the title tonight, right?
3: Uh, oh, God,
0: George, why? Well, we don't want you to miss anything. Well, you didn't tell me what <laughs> you were going to do. You just said you're going to change the title. You don't even think I'd have seen that when I got counted to three? Mm. That's a good clue, right? At the Flair Steamboat matches. I had three Austin Rock uh, WrestleMania men events. Were, and not too many guys had the same match three times in the headliner at WrestleMania.
3: Wow, exactly. How do you rate like your performance in the uh, Undertaker Shawn Michaels stuff?
0: Oh, I loved it. I got to call yeah. one of them. I thought I was in line to, to get a cup of coffee at the second one at 26, yeah. uh, but it didn't work out that way. And I think I might have been sick. But nonetheless, uh, I got to call the 25th anniversary of WrestleMania, and that match was phenomenal.
3: That's, I think that's the better of the two matches.
0: Yeah, I do too. I, I love yeah. it. I loved that's it. about as
3: perfect a match as I think i would ever seen at that point.
0: I liked uh, the fact that Lawler and I had to change gears at WrestleMania 18 to call Hogan and Rock because Hogan was a heel going in, we thought. Yeah. He wasn't. at, the, at When he got in the ring, He was. we knew something was up. I liked the fact that we were able to change in stride. The King and I, and do justice to the match. We did not make Rock a heel, and we didn't go overboard about Hogan being a babyface, because he's getting cheered relentlessly. But, yeah, uh, it was real. We called it as we felt it, because nobody had told us anything about that one, and certainly nobody foresaw Rock being the villain.
3: Well, if I would have heard the way they were putting the match together, I'd have known, because the way that match was put together, it was bound for that to happen yeah the well, way the with with hulk being the first one to go down in the cell
0: well see you he's a smart cat <laughs> i didn't I didn't go over that I didn't know what they were going to do I just figured No,
3: well, I didn't either, I, but like it was going to happen that way when you put the match together like that I think
0: yeah absolutely but it was fun that was a fun match to do you know like I said my the pac red Heart match and where the hell were we
3: we were in freaking uh uh the, oh god in, in the in the, in the Poconos.
0: Poconos, yeah, yeah like a casino or something. Or some kind, yeah, of, some, was, some kind of gimmick. Like, I went to Heenan's room to change clothes, and he had they had given him a, the honeymoon suite. Now, can you imagine Heenan, who was there, doing something else? I don't know what, but he had a honeymoon. oh with the
3: heart shaped bed, and yeah. the, the cheesy yeah, the the, oh. the jacuzzi and all that. Yeah, oh. Brett and I were dressing in one of those. Oh god, that, that night, yeah.
0: You didn't want to take your shoes off because you figured the DNA on the shag carpeting. The
3: plastic, goes. the plastic sheets. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, what first class stuff, baby? Uh, yeah, that was good. Well, it sounds like your life is good, Sean, and I'm glad you're healthy and you're staying sober and, and taking care of yourself because, man, we only got our health, buddy, really, you know, yeah. the day.
3: Yeah, and I'm really, like, life is good, and it's really, uh, you know, there was a point in time where I just didn't, obviously, I think everyone knows, I just didn't really care whether I lived or died. And, like, man, when life is good, you want to keep living it, Jim. Yeah, man. Yeah, Damn, man. I, <laughs> this I have, is how it is supposed I, to
2: be.
0: I have had a challenging year myself. At the end of the day, it's just a matter of i, I got to live my life. i got to enjoy yeah. every day because you never know, man. You just never know when something's going to be taken away from you. So as wonderful as Jan was, I, I figured really this. I figured that, that I would die many years before her. You well, almost hoped, right? Yeah. I, after what this has been like, I wish it had been that way. I could tell you that. Yeah. So it's tough. Well, listen. I hope you have a great uh, holiday season, and you enjoy all the things that you want to enjoy that you en- that you uh, deserve.
3: Yeah, my daughter's coming out to visit Jim, and uh, you know what comes along with getting your getting your life back together and doing the right things is like uh, relationships start like uh, being repaired. And like I've I just saw my son for the first time in over four and a half years. Wow. Yeah, How it was, was that?
0: great. Was he in California? No, I went to Minnesota
3: and did a show there, A couple and an uh, I did a, uh, a seminar at Ken Anderson and DeVari School, okay. and, uh, and then did a little thing up in Duluth, Minnesota, and so I got to spend a weekend with my kids, and man, Jim, it's just, and, and that was like one of the last things that like, I really needed to, to even get anything close to being happy, was to repair things with my children.
0: Wonderful. How, how old are you your know? kids now? Young adults, 20,
3: 25 and twenty two. Jim.
0: Wow, God bless. Yeah, them. that's good. <laughs> well, the other great though that you're you made a connection, and now the here's the beautiful part of that deal because I can I can I can identify with this. I got two daughters, lovely daughters from yeah. two different moms. That would cause some issues, minor, but you know, cause some issues. Yeah. But I was a workaholic, so I didn't care. My job right. was more important than everything else. Me and my job was everything that I needed to be. And uh, I regret the hell out of that. And I talk about that very freely in my book because it's something that we can prevent that. Yeah. And, and we, can re- we can repair things, but we are obligated and we owe it to our children to be role models to some degree, be mentors, and try to be uh, there for them in every positive way possible. And I'm making up for lost time, big time now. I got two granddaughters, man. I'm, amen, man. I'm, I'm doing good, buddy. So I'm glad you got. Yeah, when that Dave,
3: when when David Cassidy passed away, the last things he said, the last words he said before he died, Jim, were so much wasted time. And you know, like no no time to waste, man. Not too many shopping days left till Christmas, Liter- literally and figuratively. Yeah, it just it's and life seems getting better, man. I'm just
0: I'm really grateful, Jim. Uh, yeah, keep going the same direction, buddy. Last time I saw yeah. you in LA, you looked great. Uh, I had your little dog with you, and uh, yeah, she's a dandy, no doubt. She's amazing. Yeah. So Sean Waltman at the Real X X P A C obviously on Twitter. He's also on Instagram, X Twelve Three Sixty. Yeah, X Pac One Two
3: Three Sixty show on Instagram.
0: Yeah, that's it. And you want to watch? Yeah, it. What, listen to this podcast drops every Wednesday. So check it out. You can, wherever you listen to podcasts regularly, like this one. Exactly. Uh, check out Sean's show. He's it's a good show. I'll be on there. I'll be on there one of these days. I'll get, yes,
3: you will, I'll, Jim.
0: I'll get the call up.
3: <laughs> I'm just saving you. Yeah, yeah.
0: You're in my back pocket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's it, kid. We can have a big confrontation. <laughs> I'm saving you for for uh, midseason sweeps. Oh, of course, absolutely. Well, I appreciate that. But I seriously, <laughs> appreciate you uh, coming on. I'm proud of you. I'm happy where you are. And uh, you're a positive influence to a lot of people that have followed your career, and now you're getting out of the woods, getting farther and farther from the darkness. And uh, hopefully, Amen, our, ho- hopefully, our friend uh, PJ Polacco, just incredible, can find that same peace.
3: I have faith in him that I think he can do it, Jim. I, I just like I think he's going to. So, me too. Uh, you know, and then you know if he falls, man, you pick yourself back up. That's, that's right. how you do it.
0: Bingo, that's exactly right. Enjoy the holidays, and uh, thanks again for jumping on. And you know, I'm always in your corner. So anything you need from me, you know where to find me. So I'll, I'll look forward. Thank to, you, I'll Jim, look, man. I'll look forward to seeing you next time in L.A.
3: Yes, give me an call, and we'll get together. And I love you very much, Jim. And uh, happy holidays to you too, man. The
0: Ross Report. The Ross Report. Big thanks again to Sean Waltman for joining me here this week on the Ross report. Always one of my favorite guests. Check out Sean's outstanding podcast on at after buzz. And uh, if you'll check out uh, Sean, I know he will appreciate it. As will. I always informative, always a straight answer, good opinion and uh, provocative talk. And also really knowledgeable wrestling historian. Pat LaProd, he does, Pat does a lot of good work for one of my favorite organizations, the cauliflower alley club. You can find them at cauliflower alley big nonprofit organization. hope to see you in Vegas this spring. I'll be emceeing their banquet and uh, Pat's got his book, you know, the mad dog, the Maurice Bachon story. It's amazon.com someplace you can buy Slavernocker. So uh, check that out. Pat's got a, he's got a great mind as well. So we have some two guys on the show this week. A hell of a lots smarter than me. Let me tell you that uh, folks remember books, books. Um, My new book, Slobberknocker, My Life in Wrestling, available wherever books are sold, including Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, Books a Million. And, of course, our friends at Bookends in New Jersey have some signed copies of Slobberknocker left, and they will ship them to you wherever you are listening to this program. Bookends, bookends bookends.com. Check them out. So, appreciate that. Remember, we're going to be giving a book away to everybody that buys a ticket to the Slobberknocker sessions on Royal Rumble Sunday in Philadelphia at noon. Uh, at the diamond club at the baseball park right there by the arena, that'll be at noon Ticketfly.com has your tickets. Some tickets are still available. Only 100 tickets will be put on sale. So ho- join us. You get a free signed copy of slobber knocker personalized to you free of charge goes for the ticket along with the, uh, the selfies and the, uh, autographs and Q and a a lot of fun. So join us if you can. At uh, Ticketfly.com has your tickets. With only 100 tickets available, I know this sounds very commercial. I don't mean it to be, but I'd probably try to get them early if I could. And I understand Christmas is over and and all the holiday shopping. So do what you can on that deal. But I I don't trust that there will be tickets available the day of the event. I might be wrong, and I might be jinxing myself. So uh, check it out. Ticketfly.com, the Citizens Bank ballpark, Diamond Club, Sunday, January 28th at high noon, the day of the Royal Rumble. Really appreciate you guys listening to the program this week. It's a good show. Good show. Everybody done done a great job. Appreciate the extra work Sean Merrick did for me to help me record this at the hotel after my heartbreaking (laughs) Rose Bowl experience. But uh, we got through it, didn't we? We always do, folks. You and I always get through our tough times together, and I appreciate you guys for that. Thanks for listening to the show, supporting the sponsors. You know, it's always important. Can't leave them out. They pay the bills. They keep us on the air and I love them for that. Uh, don't forget to support podcast one, download the brand new podcast one app. It's available at the app store and on Google play. It's a real cool app, very unique. One of a kind, check it out. What do you got to lose? Check it out. I'm an app guy. Now I'm I'm in the modern age here. So, uh, uh, it's a, it's a hell of a good app. Really cool. So check that out. Podcast one podcast, O and And that's where you find all the sponsors. Uh, just click on the killer deals button at the top right corner of the page. And then, baby, drop the bonnic elbow on the Ross Report banner, if you will. Because you know, I'd rather fight a man than make love to a woman. Folks, coming up next week, two more guys that are smarter than me are going to join the program. Uh, we're going to talk to Ron Harris of the famous Harris twins. I think it's Ron I'm talking to. I'm kidding. But you never really know, right? No I'm kidding. Good guys, Ron and Don. They're very involved in Aero Lucha, new promotion getting ready to get themselves started here with some shows, some live events this month. We'll talk to Ron all about that, how the company came about, what their goals are, and their format, All everything you want to know about this company from one of the owners. Here exclusively here next week on the show. And, and this I say this a lot. I, I wore this out. You Talk about intelligence. John Pollock may be the smartest guy that's not working for a major wrestling company that I have ever known. Uh, he's brilliant. And he helps me a lot with my notes, uh, for the access TVs, uh, presentation, new Japan, uh, man, I'll tell you what the fight networks lost. Everybody else has gained post wrestling.com with Wei Ting and John Pollock, really cool site, great audio, two really smart guys they are objective and they cover the business, like a business of which I very much respect. So John Pollock here next week. So two brand new owners of new entities within our genre that we all love and support, uh, will be joining me here next week. Hope you will as well. That's it for this week. Appreciate you guys being with us. Thanks to everybody for their uh, birthday wishes. And I appreciate that and hope everyone has a very healthy and happy new year. And we'll see you right here next week. So from Los Angeles, California, ladies and gentlemen, the home of my friend, Stone Cold Steve Austin, who might walk in this door at any moment. I say so long, everybody. Thanks for listening to The Ross Report. Download a brand new episode every week at podcastone.com. That's podcastone.com.
2: The Classified Memo Controversy. I'm Rita Foley with an AP News Minute. Democrats are accusing Republicans of altering a classified memo on the Russia investigation just as they prepare for it to be released to the public. A.P. Washington correspondent Sagar Magani.
0: Hours after President Trump was overheard saying he's 100% in favor of releasing a classified memo on the Russia investigation, the FBI says it has grave concerns over the document's accuracy. House Intelligence Committee Republicans wrote the memo, which they say shows the FBI improperly used surveillance in early stages of a probe into potential Trump campaign ties to Russia.
2: The top Democrat on the House Intelligence Committee says now that the committee's vote to release the memo is invalid because it was secretly altered by the Republicans who wrote it. A spokesman for Chairman Devin Nunez says the changes were minor edits to the memo, including grammatical fixes. I'm Rita Foley.